brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mookie harrington joined by my snowy, easternly direction, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm covered in ice and snow. Not as much snow as I think you are covered in, though, right now. Yeah, we have more than a foot of snow that has landed since Friday. What? A foot. I have I have shoveled four times already, and uh, I am still questioning whether or not I'll be able to make it out to work on Monday for my 8 a.m. meeting. So and and just be- so everyone knows, this is not a rerun from December <laughs> or January. This is this is the latest episode from... We were recording on April 15th. Yeah. This is uh this is most distressing. This is a uh, 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 disappointing development for sure. Uh, would be tax day in some some areas, right? Well, tax April? day tax day is, is actually the seventeenth. It's actually Tuesday. Yeah, but I mean for the fifteenth in general is the date. If it yeah, falls. yeah, mm-hmm. that is that is the uh, that is the Irwin R. Shyster day. Yeah. <laughs> so this has been a uh, a rough weekend for me. All my curling game was canceled today. Uh, oh. The yeah. Uh, karaoke you was think they canceled. Just have it outdoors. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. You need glare. You need you need really good ice to to curl. So it'd be pretty hard to have ice right now. It's, it's more just like a a foot of very powdery snow and uh, just kept accumulating forever. So yeah, it's uh, been a mess here. You got pretty to shovel. Huh? I had to shovel a ton, so my 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 shoulders are hurting. Wow. And uh, we all got the WrestleMania plague. So I'm a uh, Fighting, fighting a cold flu thing. 
Mm-hmm. No, no measles yet. No measles luck. Thank God. Mm-hmm. You saw yeah, that, right? Sh- oh yeah, I saw that. Uh, someone, a, a, a UK fan, right, had the measles. Thanks, the UK. Yeah, those European fans are ruining everything as usual. Um, but they, someone had the measles and was at the Hall of Fame, and I understand people who sat near this person were contacted. Well, you know, getting up, getting out of your seat, going back and forth, that always happens. And then uh, they were even saying, I think, the plane flight, too. You know, people in um, the same malaria. So, But, but most Americans are vaccinated for the measles, right? I would think so, but I don't know. I don't know if that – if now you, now you got us all on a – Except for – I know there's the phenomenon of people who don't give their children vaccines. In this that is true. That is true. But, but uh-huh. other than that, I mean – most, Most of us got, should have gotten the got MMR booster shots vaccine. in our yeah. childhood and teen years, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it's probably we probably were vaccinated against it. So there we go. So now we are we are immune to this all. We will destroy destroy this vaccine, Rusev crush vaccines. I mean measles. What about the mumps though? That that really got some people in South America or something, didn't it? <laughs> We're all over the place this morning. Yeah, we'll have to uh, Dr. Chris Amon on some time to explain this to us. That's true. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your week here. You got a big wrestling week coming up next week, right? I do. I have to, I'm wrestling next week in Jamestown for Southern Tier Wrestling and in St. Catharines, Ontario for Crossfire Wrestling to make the big Crossfire Wrestling debut. But but you're 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 selling short the uh, the possible end of the show here. I am. Isn't next week the uh, week you're wrestling, Mr. Colin Delaney? No, that's that's the following week on the twenty ninth oh, of oh, uh, of April, where you you have put the the co hosting duties of this show on the line. When I yeah. Colin Delaney and Albion, New York, on April twenty ninth for Empire State Wrestling, yeah, yeah. So you know, I just like to 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 see if I can in, improve your winner's purse uh, give each week here by putting that at stake. So who knows? Could be calling on the week after that, taking all that lucrative patron money. Yeah. Well, well, luckily I have a, a very special relationship with the officials in ESW and I have a lot of pull and sway. So, uh, I think the odds are in my favor. All right. Well, if you are a super surf subscriber, one of our, our members of the Patreon army, uh, at P A T R E O N.com slash Russell you can get our super serve subscriber show. And that's going to have a lot of other content this week. We're going to talk about on the free show here, the greatest Royal rumble. We're going to talk about Rusev and Rhonda and Brock and, we're going to go over some of those WWE Network numbers and, of course, Mixed Match Challenges over. And then I think we, we're going to have some time for a, a fun little uh, indie spotlight of a, a wrestling business story that's been happening out in Kansas City. And then on the Super Serve subscriber show, we're going to be talking about more uh, the international survey that was just sent out for WWE Network, uh, the WWE annual meeting, some WWE merchandising info. Uh, we're going to go deep into China and talking a lot about a great story that was written up by Nuclear Convoy. All about OWE, and uh, also touch a little bit on NWA's uh, story in China this week. And then, of course, I have my my weekly uh, Aero Lucha update, um, uh, Mookie's legal update corner, uh, Brandon's philosophy corner, and then any other mis- miscellaneous things from this past week that uh, we haven't gotten to yet. But this is going to be a jam packed show for sure um, with all want, the, the content. Yeah, so I just want to mention we're, we're going to talk about China and OWE and, and all this. Uh, stuff that's going on with Sema from Dragon Gate, who may be leaving Dragon Gate and just uh, spending all of his time in, on this uh, OWE in China. And I got a lot of really good uh, information from 
as you mentioned, uh, nuclear convoy. His name is James Snellgrove, who does a really good blog on nuclearconvoy.com. We'll direct you to it. And he's got a, a lot of really good information about all these promotions, all this stuff that's going on in China, and gave me a ton of notes that we're going to go over on the subscriber show. Absolutely. And and it's only $5 a month for you to become a sub- SuperServe subscriber. And that will get you access to all of the archives, gives you access to the show notes we go over each week and uh, lots of other goodies. So we are excited to have our new subscribers this week. We just got a few more this week that I want to thank, you know, Richard and Brett and Dakota and Jonathan, of course. And uh, just want to say thank you guys for supporting uh, WrestleNomics Radio. And we are excited to always have our free show. We're available on Spotify now. Uh, you just said that. And it, made me, it made me think. Do we get anything from that beyond just exposure? I mean, does Spotify give us any money? Um, I, no, they don't give us any money. Okay. But uh, hopefully it will allow us to get more listeners. I don't know. It's just yeah. another way for people to access the show. No, it, absolutely. I was just thinking about, you know, it's another example of a service where, you know, they're taking the content, they're being able to monetize it, and the creators themselves are being left out. In the cold, you know, there's hmm. been some interesting uh, scandals actually with Spotify, where people have talked about how uh, people have gotten basically put music on Spotify, yeah, been able to monetize it, and then paid for themselves to get basically bot farms to like listen to playlists over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and generate enough money to make money on the entire endeavor because they're 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 listening enough to generate enough listens, but you mm-hmm. basically have to get like hundreds of accounts spending at you know uh, hours every day every hour every day just listening to your music on repeat so it's been interesting that is, the way that people have tried to scam strategy the that we should uh, invest in? no no absolutely not oh. uh, that, i was just thinking about that today about you know will the patreon bubble burst where you know we we, we sort of had the youtube bubble burst in a certain way right where yeah but it, for a it, while it there recovered. it's recovered though so so tell me about that so when you say it's recovered do you mean that people's return on income generation is is back to the same levels as before. That is that is what my, you mean by that? Yeah, yes, that is my understanding. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I've seen at least a couple promotions, analytics, at least the charts, and and they, yeah. So the timeline was like spring of last year, things fell off and fell off, <laughs> but by the fall, things were back to about the same level. I wonder I wonder if that's true for the people that were seriously monetizing it, you know, like the what cultures of the world where, you know, I, I bet you that's true for the people that were kind of casually monetizing it. But for the people who were basically trying to rely upon it as a means of generating income, whether or not that was working. And then I know YouTube has really upped the standards for what to be in a creator account. You have to have a certain number of subscribers you have to have or followers. You have to have a certain number of hours watched or produced in a year. And, you know, they're really upping that up, trying to really cut off the lower 80% of that that long tail, mm-hmm. which is interesting. You know, it's a really – I don't know. It's it's a weird move to me in some ways because it, it is very much like trying to say to a lot of people, hey, your dream is dead. You can't make money. And so it's it's strange to me that, you know, you're pushing creators out in a certain way and you're just trying to go more towards this other group where at the same time, you know, some of the premium channels have not worked out so well for them. and They've kind of abandoned that strategy as well. I believe that the deal is if you if you have a video that gets more than 1000 views in the first week of its life, then then they will uh, 
they will at least look at your challenge if you've been demonetized. So my, my answer when people have asked me this is that any promotion that, that really is looking to rely on YouTube revenue is, is going to be okay. Because a thousand views for a smaller indie, yeah, would, would, would be hard to achieve. But for some of these bigger indies that are actually relying on YouTube revenue as a significant source of revenue, they're going to reach that for a lot of videos. I mean, we've got indie videos that have got over a million views. Uh, that that's lifetime, obviously, but over the course of a, of a few weeks, there's a lot of, uh, of there's a lot of super indies that can get a lot of videos with over 1,000 views. So this this notion that it's going to kill the indies is is overblown. Uh, a mid size indie, an indie that I would call a super indie, which I've been thinking about this and I've been talking to, to students about this, trying to explain to them sort of how indie wrestling works. Um, I, I think the distinction is getting sidetracked, but I think the distinction we can make between what's a local indie and what's a super indie is a super indie is, a, is an indie that relies on money that doesn't just come from the local area, that they have some sort of access to worldwide money in some significant measure. So anyway, my point is any, uh, any indie that's going to rely on something like YouTube revenue to bring in, I don't know, multiple hundreds of dollars per month at that, at that size is going to be okay. Interesting. Okay. That's good to know. That's my just... impression. If, and if I'm wrong, somebody can email us at wrestlenomics at gmail.com. Yeah. And, and I, I was just thinking about it in terms of, you know, we're, we're seeing so many people go into the patron space now and it's competitive, you know, and we've seen the wrestling space in that area explode over the last year here. Where you you have some big players, you know, who have moved significant portion of their their resources over to kind of doing a patron driven model, mm-hmm. and it, it's very lucrative for you know people like us where we're being able to connect with people in a new way and really monetize it in a way that we never were able to before. But it does make you wonder at what point does the bubble burst? In the same way with the OTT, you know, all the different people trying to do over the top streaming through. Whether it's pivot share, whether it's you know their own service or what it, whatnot, it just makes you wonder at what point does does people get tired of nickel and diming to support everything, or is this actually a new you know model for everything? Does people is this what people want, or will we see the rise of the super patron? You know, the the, the well the bundle yeah. So it's it's the super voices of wrestling one where you know all of the voices of wrestling different groups are in one. Something. I don't think that's going to happen because I think. The last few years have, have told me, and I and I think that's the trajectory that we're on. To this will become even more the case is that people's interests will just become more and more niche, and uh, you're going to have less and less in common with your neighbors. And uh, I don't think I don't think everybody wants to pay for the bundle because they don't have, especially now that we're not in a situation where we're like we're a cable network where yeah we have to be a part of this bundle along with a lot of other other networks um i think we're but a, we're already predisposed to be in an a la carte situation i don't know if that makes any sense no no i get what you're saying like, i i just think that if you were to look at the venn diagram of people that are interested in wrestling and people that are supporting ind- independent wrestling journalism media and criticism you know let just make it very vague yeah. um it's a small it's a small subset and so you do wonder that if you offered say a really low bundled price, which you would say you get all of these different things for this bundled price. Would it bring in more people than the kind of the individual offerings now where, you know, it's kind of like saying, would you, would more people sign up for figure four if the PW torch subs 
or, or newsletters archives were on there. I don't you think know. I don't think so because I think say people who listen to our podcast they care about our podcast and like are barely even aware of what the what the torch has or what what such and such other outlet has um, as opposed to if you're going to compare it to like a TV bundle whereas I think TV bundles have uh, better brand awareness. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, that, that's I, my, I, my my view is that I think I think all this stuff is. Things like page, Patreon, whether 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 it's Patreon itself that's the host and distributor of this stuff, uh, this type of model is only going to continue to exist. And if anything grow, or that's that's my optimism, is that th- things like our Patreon uh, subscribership is only going to grow over time, and uh, people will come and go. But um, I think it'll continue to grow over time, and there'll be others like us even who will be able to. S- to make some money uh, doing things like what we do. Well, I not, think, not talking wrestling business, though, because we're the best at that. Yeah, well, I think I think Bitreon, the Bitcoin-based Patreon system that you and I are launching, will be much more successful. Where you, you get a stable return on your Bitcoin, but then we get to, to invest any of the fluctuations that happen versus the price from when you originally yeah, it's, gave it to inevitable. us. You know, one, one world, one currency. <laughs> the that we're on here. You know, and, and, and one of those currencies has to be the greatest currency of all. Much like right now we're leading up to what? The greatest Royal Rumble. That is right. Uh, the greatest Royal Rumble set to take place in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Uh, the date is – what is the date of the new show? You, there's actually April a countdown. April 27th, I believe. Yeah, if you go to WWE.SA, uh, they have their own website right there, which is the Saudi Arabian version of of the WWE website. I don't know if you've clicked on it and looked at it. No, Little no. fireworks going off in the background. Wow. Pretty exciting. Um, 12 days, 4 hours, 30 minutes, 50 seconds from now. The pictures on this website at the bottom here are very amusing of which talent. You know, I, I'm, I'm always fascinated with which talent gets the rub. So from left to right on the uh, the list here, you see Goldust. Then uh, Big Show, it looks like. I'm pretty sure that's Big Show. Um, uh, Brock, Dolph, Bray, Nakamura, Randy Orton, AJ Styles, Triple H, John Cena. There's Braun. Then Roman. Then The New Day. Then Elias. Then Mojo Raleigh. Then uh, Daniel Bryan. And then Apollo Crews. So uh, if I had to uh, pick most surprising people on here. Uh, I think Big Show being on there is interesting because uh, maybe he's been announced, but you know, obviously he's been off TV a lot. Uh, Mojo being hilariously on there, but again, a former winner, right? Yeah, and well, uh, well, a former Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal winner. Yeah, which makes means that he's he's credible. Elias, and then of course Apollo or Apollo Cruz, depending on which title we're using. So just I was just amused at which talent was uh, listed here, and then they have all the different discussions of, you know, which matches are going to be going on. Um, I, I will announce that I, I had a very important follower when I was going through my yeah. list of, of who who has followed me lately, and and I I will say to anyone if you ever follow me and I don't follow you back, um, you know, feel free to send me a note, and it's probably just because I get a combination of real people and um, uh, porn bots. That yeah. follow me randomly, and so I don't always follow back people if I don't see a wrestling related thing in their Twitter. But now, I got to you, you follow how many people, Mookie? I follow five thousand five hundred eleven people. 
So do you how 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 do you uh, look through your timeline? Uh, you know, the the curated timeline is is pretty decent. It just, you know, really? I'll look for I'll look for stuff that's interesting and then okay. it'll jump out and people are usually then responding to it a lot. So, you, you know, kind of getting like oh, 500 tweets per second or something. You'd think that, but really a lot of people I follow are just they're they're very low volume tweeters. I don't vol- I don't follow a lot of accounts that are you know, um big content generators. Mm-hmm. Especially if they don't follow me. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I will go look up, you know, specific people's accounts. I look up your account or I'll look up Bix or I'll look up other people, Dave's and just read what's on their, their list. But I miss a lot of tweets, but I was looking through, you know, who's followed me here. And I do have at official bin S a L M, uh, the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, the youngest defense minister in the world and first in line to the throne, 32 year old crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And, uh, Everyone's I have my, you know, I have my doubts about the uh, veracity of this account, which only has 143 followers. Uh, it's following 1,221 people, and uh, is the, locked. The account down. is locked, not yes. verified, but locked. It's not verified, and the picture they have for his cover picture is terribly granulated, uh, as if it was you know someone just uploading something. So I'm hoping it's it's one an, another one of these uh, cosplay accounts uh, where someone is cosplaying as the <laughs> Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah. Um, and I, I was surprised to learn that he's only 32 years old, which is the same age that I am. And uh, it, it always upsets me and frustrates me when I find uh, people who are of a similar age as me who have done so much more than I've done in their lives. I, which is, you know, it makes sense because, you know, you, you, you also were born into royalty. You had um, many opportunities to, you know, imprison many people and mm-hmm. in the name of a corruption probe. And you chose not to do any of that. So I, I think you should hold yourself um, accountable for just, you know, all these questionable decisions you've made. Yeah, I haven't made a lot of questionable decisions. But I, I guess when you put it that way, it doesn't sound so bad. At least I haven't imprisoned anyone yet. Yeah, yeah. that we know of. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure in a, in a wrestling match at some point you tied someone up in the ropes. That's an involuntary imprisonment. Yeah, I've, I've been called a shooter. Um, and, and there are a lot of myths about me as a wrestler. I'm, I'm not sure where this reputation comes from, but yeah. Well, you're a cold, mean man as as far as I've heard. Yeah, absolutely. Curmudgeon. Curmudgeon. The wrestling curmudgeon. Yes. I, I do think that's a good gimmick is the wrestling curmudgeon. Oh, it's not just a gimmick. It's a real life, brother. You know, Brant... Brandon Thurston Howard, the the seventh in the uh, the farmers market battle, and he's the wrestling curmudgeon. He'll force you to sit down and read a book if you lose this match. Yeah, I will. I will force the wrestling culture to be more rewarding of hard work than of favors and friendships and relationships. Yeah, you know. But that's how the world goes round. If there's one thing Prince Mohammed bin Salman has taught us, it's that uh, you know familial relationships can have a big impact on your ability to do business with people. That is exactly the problem with the world. I, I want the world to be a meritocracy, not a nepotistic uh, world of favors. The greatest Royal Rumble match has many people have been announced already. Daniel Bryan, Big Show, Kane, Strowman, Bray, Kurt Angle, Apollo, Titus, Elias, Goldust, Corbin, Big E, Kofi, Xavier, Shelton, Gable, Sin Cara, Mojo Raleigh, Dolph. Uh, I would say the... There's going to be 50 men, so they're going to they're going to just be grabbing everyone. Kane's an interesting one because if you go to the website again and you look at the roster picture, Kane is is prominently featured on the roster page, 
which when, or I'm sorry, the Superstars page, which has uh, John Cena, Triple H, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Kane, AJ Styles, and Randy Orton in the New Day. So those are the you know like the twelve people that they think are really important that they that they let you know who they are uh, for WWE. So I was just very amused by that that Kane Kane made the list. Uh, so. Kane is a legend. Let me yeah, tell as you. we as we get into this card and the details of it, of course we're going to talk about Rusev and all that stuff. But um, I, I didn't even realize until a week or two ago that this is in a stadium that's going to have a capacity of at least sixty thousand seats. Um, that's that's my impression is that they're doing it in the stadium stadium because it sounds like it's one of these stadiums that has kind of like the sub indoor halls where you, you could be doing it there. But I I really do think that they're going to do it in a big big arena. And um, it's really interesting that this is – I think there's a lot of allusions and comparisons we can make to the collision in Korea, the, the 1995 two-day uh, wrestling event that WCW and New Japan put on uh, in North Korea, in Pyongyang, which was also a show bought by that government, <laughs> a very uh, – I don't know, a very problematic government, a, a government that's, you know, doesn't do very well with human rights, and it's – going to make a lot of money for the promotion that's putting it on and uh well i don't know if stadium. wcw uh, to be honest i don't know if wcw made very much money well, off of well, well, and, and, and Noki did or at least new japan uh, i don't even know if Noki made that much money Noki well, was using it as money a... then because uh, like, we've got reports that it, it's one of the biggest gates of all time really i've always yeah. i've only only seen it as the biggest attendance of all time i don't know if i've ever seen it as big as gates Cause I, I don't, I don't even, have the references with me, but I think The Observer, because I've, I've researched this at one point uh, leading up to WrestleMania 32 because we knew that was going to be a big, big deal. And that is the biggest gate of all time, $17 million. But uh, I, I did some research around that time to see, all right, well, what are the biggest gates of all time? And uh, I believe these are numbers that were sourced from The Observer at the time uh, that, that puts it, even adjusted for inflation today, in the top five or top ten gates of all time. All right. All right. I, so, I always so, thought much more as a political machination by Enoki yeah. because he, he's been obsessed with the idea of trying to improve relations with North Korea. And he's gone over to North Korea numerous times since then and sometimes being you know admonished by his party to not do it. But he still goes and does it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's – I, I never saw it as very much as, as a money-making venture. As much as I think he did, you know, I think in some scope he did want it to be, you know, the biggest crowd in the world seeing him. But it was also, I thought, very much about a diplomacy or a world building type thing where he wanted to be famous for, you know, being the guy who fixed this international crisis. So this is from ProWrestlingHistory.com, which I believe is sourcing The Observer. And I'm sure it is, yeah. And like I said a couple of years ago, I think I cross-referenced this and found the same numbers in the, in the actual issues of The Observer. So day one, $7.5 million. Day two, $8.5 million. That would be that, 1995. Wow. I'm just shocked by that because it just seems like such a poor country. I don't know where the people who were – it was compulsory attendance, you know, where they would have had the money to – pay for the tickets you know well maybe the government just cut them a check you know and let the people starve that that's very possible that is very very possible so yeah um so so someone asked on twitter uh, i'll just get into this so someone asked on twitter is there a conflict of interest where linda mcmahon being a member of the trump cabinet her husband is running a show in Saudi Arabia and is going to benefit greatly from this, where this is some kind of issue where Saudi Arabia is basically giving money to the spouse of a Trump cabinet official. 
I don't know if you saw that discussion on Twitter or no, not. No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, so there's people asking about that. And uh, I'll give you my very short synopsis of it, which is there will there it is not a scandal. <laughs> Partially because one, uh WWE has been doing business in Saudi Arabia since at least 2014, maybe even 2013, uh with how long they've been running shows there. There's years and years and years of shows they've been running. I found some rather amusing pictures of Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper, and Eric Rowan receiving um, translated copies of the Quran from a Saudi Arabian official back in 2014. Yeah. Uh, which was funny because I thought, why those guys? And then I was like, oh, because they have beards. They're the only guys with beards. Oh, so that's really? why that's why they were choosing to take pictures with them. Um and so, you know, there's those kind of things happening. But, A, it's a prior relationship is what I'm trying to establish. This isn't something that just came about because suddenly, you know, Linda McMahon's in this new position and suddenly Saudi Arabia wants to do business with them. So that's one. Two, uh, WWE is a publicly held company. And so they're doing these things in a publicly, you know, transmitted way. They've, they've been very clear that they're going to do these things. Um Supposedly, when the Q2 filings come out, they're going to give us some detail. Even if they don't give us a lot of detail, we'll see it because they do a, a revenue by region summary where they say, I made this much in North America. I made this much in South America. I made this much in Asia. I made this much in uh, the UK. I made this much in Europe. And then I made this much in, in sometimes it's called e, EMEA, like emerging markets or other markets of the world, um, Middle East and Africa. Yeah, e, um, EMEA refers to Europe, Middle East, and Asia, right? That's probably the, the term mm -hmm. that they're using it as, yeah. Mm -hmm. So so we would see the bump probably showing up there in the Middle East category as well. And it, it should kind of stick out. And then additionally, they, they always have some commentary about their international tour revenue. And it would probably jump out there where they'd say, oh, we did this many dollars and some of it was driven Europe, Middle East and Africa, not Asia. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Europe, Middle East and Africa. And I believe there, there's always been that question about which group does India fall into. I think India goes under Asia in the uh, categories that WWE uses. Um, but so we'll, we'll see that some of the, the money coming out there. They said that they're going to say more about it in Q2, and they've already promised to have us more transparent reporting for WWE this year, where um, they were going to break out data much more uh, discreetly so we could say, for instance, what revenue is being generated by Raw and SmackDown and what revenue is being generated by one-time series like you know Miz and Mrs. or you know Tough Enough in the old days, that sort of thing. So, so hopefully we will have some transparency to it. Uh, the next thing I'd say is that Linda McMahon, in her original foil and uh, ethics filings about becoming the SBA administrator, she kind of talked about you know basically divesting herself of almost all her WWE holdings. She has no leadership capacity there. Um, the stock that she has, you know, basically she just gets dividends on it. So it, it would be hard to argue that she's making a lot of money off of this deal personally. Uh, Vince obviously will because he's, you know, the CEO and the chairman of the board. But that's not unusual in his position. Linda's um, cabinet post has nothing to do with the oversight for this. So it's not like she's on a, you know, an ethics committee. It's not like she's on a foreign relations trade board. It, it's none of those things. And then on top of that, we've seen the Trump administration promote business deals with Saudi Arabia. When Trump went over there, he, he announced a whole bunch of new business deals with Saudi Arabia. And business deals with Saudi Arabia are not easy. Um, the banking and everything gets really complicated because you kind of have two different laws that are running in tandem to each other. And sometimes they, they cause some pretty big contradictions. 
And so it, Saudi Arabia has actually been rated very poorly in a lot of the international transparency and business dealings indexes because it's so difficult to do business there. Um, so it's not like it's a place where people just are, are constantly doing business and, and things. So the, the fact that this Vision 2030 money, which is where this is all coming from, is part of it. Well, again, they've laid out a plan for what they want to do. And this is part of that bigger plan. It doesn't seem so nefarious because it's part of their idea of saying, let's make Saudi Arabia kind of a hub of entertainment and let's build on industries that are not oil based. And so this is very much in line with that. So to, well, isn't, to, isn't she to benefit from her husband's income? Yeah, but I, I, I we, 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 we look more for deals where basically you can see some form of enticement going on. Where we say this person is benefiting and this this deal would not have happened had this person not been in this position. I don't think anyone would say that Saudi Arabia wouldn't have made this deal with WWE if Linda McMahon wasn't in the Trump administration. Like it, it would the same deal would have been done. Yeah, there, there's no evidence that it has anything to do with the with the Trump administration. So to me, it, it there's there's just absolutely no smoking gun that makes it worrisome. I understand where people are coming from, but as far as I know, there's nothing illegal about having a spouse that gets money from a from another country um, investing in their business as long as it's being publicly disclosed and you're not working as an agent on their behalf. So, you know, and, and as we know, Vince said that he didn't even talk to Linda about the XFL anyway. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's so it is it is one where you could make a very strong which argument I which that I can't fathom. But OK, yeah. what that they don't talk that they, they don't talk about the about a big business decision like the XFL, like they don't even mention it to each other. I think you're assuming that this is a normal marriage. Uh, I know between... it's not a normal marriage, and I and I can imagine how weird it is. But the but are they are they even friends? Do they even ever have conversations about like what <coughs> what did you do today? I don't know. I don't know. I would love I would I would love to understand that because you you do wonder that. But in a certain way, Linda's goal was always to become some kind of a politician, right? Yeah. And then she always knew that she wanted to kind of insulate herself from WWE in terms of scandals. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, I could totally see Linda being like, I'm not going to talk to you at all, Vince, for the next six years (laughs) so that I don't have to uh, uh, pretend to know or not know anything about what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, the one thing Linda has for her right now is complete deniability in the sense that she is traveling every week. I have a, a Google alert for her name. And not a week goes by where she is not in another city in the U.S. doing SBA work. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I would love to see what the FOIL request is, uh, the FOIL request is for her travel budget this year. It's got to be through the roof because she just every week seems to be in another place. And I think that's part of her defense strategy in being the administration is that she's trying to basically insulate herself from being able to say, I wasn't at that meeting. I wasn't in the White House. I don't know what you're talking about. I was running the SBA I was doing SBA business. Is, is she the longest ten, tenured member of the cabinet right now? No, there's other people <laughs> who have been there the whole time. But she's, she's pretty close, though. She she's in the upper echelon of people that have begun from the oh. beginning and oh. uh, have have not left in some way. But I'm like I think her transportation secretary um, and people like that. Uh, Wasn't that Chow or something? Uh, let's see here. What's what what's this person's name? Um, goodness, why, why can't I find the person? Well, you're looking uh, at it. By yeah, the yeah, way. Elaine Chow. Yes. So I was not, I wasn't being crazy. And and uh, isn't Elaine Chow married to? 
Oh, why do I get confused? I, I want to say, is she the one who's married to? Yeah, she's married to Mitch McConnell, as I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you want to you want to get into like complex things. You have things like that that are going on where there's a lot of other relationships between people or, or people whose husbands or wives are, are um, lobbyists and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I think it's it's easy to try to say if WWE was running a big show in Russia suddenly, that would be suspicious mm-hmm. because WWE has really not pursued a very deep and bold Russia strategy. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I can go back five, eight years and find you things where they says that they want to expand the Middle East and that that's a priority for them. Yeah, and we, and we know how big OSN has been for them, which is their TV partner in the Middle East. Um, yeah, so I mean, to me, it's that sort of thing where it, it's hard to prove malice when it's something that predates the election of Donald Trump by many years. So, uh, I mean, I think it's weird, but at the same time, it's Vision 2030 money, and Vision 2030 is so much bigger than just saying it's something brand new that happened just this year. Mm-hmm. So. so this is going to air live on the network, and it, it's, the start time is 7 p.m. local time, which on the East Coast of the United States is going to be noon. This is on a Friday, so it's going to air on Friday at noon on the East Coast, and that would be like 9 on the West Coast in the morning. So Yeah, yeah, I think... Not a, and, not and they're a terrible pushing, time. They're pushing, uh, they're pushing I haven't been watching. I'm not going to pretend I've been watching Rock closely. But I understand they've been pushing it on TV as like this is a major pay-per-view. Oh, yeah. And, and not just that. I mean every other day corporate website, which is not usually one that plays along in storylines very much. Mm-hmm. The corporate website is – excuse me – has been putting out – you know, uh, uh, the the John Cena and Triple H are going to have a match. Oh, the uh, you know uh, Rusev and the Undertaker are going to have a casket match. And uh, look, these fourteen people have been announced for the the Royal Rumble match and, and so forth every day or every other day. And I have to believe that as part of the agreement, they must have signed something that said, "Oh, we agree to give you this much money in publicity and marketing or something of that nature." So that they're saying, you know, they're they're obligated to keep up keep this press narrative up. Um, and it's an international but, thing. It, it's something that they would want to show to their business partners. But it is unusual that they would put match announcements on their corporate website. As, as people who look at the corporate website all the time, this is not something that's normal. No, and and the thing is, sometimes they put out PR requests, PR announcements that don't even hit the corporate website. They obviously put out a yeah. ton of announcements that hit WWE.com, but it's mm-hmm. weird to have the match announcements hitting the corporate website beyond just saying we're going to do the Greatest Royal Rumble. Like that made sense to me, saying we're going to air the Greatest War- Royal Rumble on the network. That makes sense to me because from an investor point of view, that does make a difference, right? Because you care about, OK, this is going to be a big thing on the network. As an investor, do I think people are going to sign up to watch it? You know, that that kind of logic makes sense to me. But the – which matches are going to be that on there? That seems like that's just PR hype, and that seems really weird to me. So yeah, like we they did announce this casket match with Rusev and the Undertaker, and you can find the catched version of this mm-hmm. um, on the website. And then what was weird is it disappeared, and suddenly it became Undertaker versus Chris Jericho in a casket match. This was following a tweet from Rusev where he, where he, he quote tweeted the announcement and said, "Bury me softly, brother." <laughs> did he really? That oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew I knew he's been tweeting other things and then Lana supposedly, you know, said I, I complained about this match and said it wasn't fair and, and got it removed and and uh Rusev tweeted something like it's Rusev Day somewhere else today. 
Um, but so a lot of people have been asking questions about what's up with Rusev. Um, there had been rumors leading up to this that, you know, maybe he had asked for his release yeah. or his contract was, was expiring. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Meltzer in the daily report, uh, the same daily report, which made sure to mention what, what, what killed me on this daily report is that the, it's called Okada versus Osprey on access rock and rampage comma Alberto. Those are the big stories they're mentioning here. And then just as a throwaway line right near the bottom of the WWE section, it just says all the Rusev stuff is storyline. Mm-hmm. And it just cracked me up because I was like, at some point, we have to stop pretending like The Rock doing movies is part of a wrestling story. Like, it's not a wrestling story anymore. But what, if, the Rock... but what, if, what if The Rock is your friend, though? Can it still be in the WWE section? It shouldn't be. At, at a certain point, you're, you know, same reason I was ripping on on them adding a football podcast to their their line of, of things that they're offering here is that at a certain reason, just because a wrestler is tangentially associated with something, it doesn't mean that it's a good um, investment of your reader's eyeballs to look at. But, so. but maybe we need to build a case for The Rock as, as the uh, best box office draw when the <laughs> awards come out. So, I mean, look at those millions of dollars that he's drawing every week. Hey, I'm as excited as anyone that they made a Rampage movie, which also means I am also baffled as anyone that they made a Rampage movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't wait for them to make a Rampart movie next where it's all about cannons blowing up various structures of castles. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it just just cracked me up where I thought, you know, putting Rusev in here would be a good example of a wrestling-related story that I would want to talk about at the top of the the Daily News update, but no. But uh, so – you know, Dave is just saying it's all storyline. I, I do get the feeling that, you know, um, I did buy a Rusev Day calendar while I was in uh, Access. Oh, did you? Of course I did. Wow. Is it, is yeah. it posted nearby so you, so you can reference it right now? I should. I should have it up. This is, see, uh, right now I record the show in my wife's office because she's hooked up uh, the dual monitor system through the, you know, like the cables and all that. Oh, nice. And so it's her office to the T where it has – all her her when she got her um, advocacy and and political leadership stuff. So there's all these labor books on the wall. There's all all this Beauty and the Beast, uh, you know, snow globes and and mugs and and uh, build a bears, and uh, all her degrees are on the wall, and uh, all these law books and Neil Gaiman, Sandman, and and uh, copies of her newspaper articles from when she was the editor of the newspaper in college, and. Uh, all the icons she has on the wall and the Rusev day calendar, right? And that's the thing. And so adding a Rusev day calendar to this might be a little weird, but I think she would approve. She likes Rusev. So oh, I think that, I think she'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And then she would know, you know, whether today was or was not a Rusev day. Yeah. We need to verify that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it's been weird. It, it's so strange to me to bother to send out a big website announcement, like the undertaker versus Rusev and then pull it one day later. Like I get the idea that like things change, but it is really weird to me to like go as far as put it on the corporate website and then change the match and then bother to pull the old announcement. That's what baffles me the most is that most of the time they just will either send out a new announcement or just leave it there. Like mm-hmm. it, it's weird for them to pull an announcement from the corporate website. Mm-hmm. Well, well, maybe someone told Dave that it's all storyline. So that's what he wrote, but didn't maybe he wasn't fully aware of what you just described, what happened with the press releases. Yeah. So that was just weird to me that, uh, you know, it, it it's funny cause you can tell that they're writing these press releases for people that are not wrestling fans. 
So it says, like, the object of a casket match is for a WWE superstar to trap their opponent inside the casket and close the lid. Uh, and so it's funny, like, the latter match had an explanation that was similar. And so it, it does say something to me, too, about the fact that these corporate releases are going out and they're being so specific to explain what types of matches they are. Is that in many ways it's meant that it can hit a newspaper in another country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the UAE newspaper can then, like, basically take the PR release and then try to turn it into an article. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it will be fascinating to see. I would love to know whether or not the viewing on this is going to be through the roof or not. You know, um, the, the matches. Did, did we mention Chris Jericho has replaced Rusev? Yes. Undertaker for yes. This? Okay. okay. Right. So he's in there. We got John Cena versus Triple H. We have Lesnar versus Reigns in a rematch. Some people even, you know, were speculating, oh, does this mean that, you know, this is where Reigns is going to win because it's going to be a much more favorable crowd for Roman Reigns. Right. You're not going to uh, have world travelers or even, you know, what Western fans and uh, young adult male fans or whoever you imagine being the fans who boo Roman Reigns. Yeah, it's not going to be the smart mark audience or whatever. It's, it's, so it's, it's quite possibly like it, it, like I said, if this is like Collision Korea in 1995, it's going to be and where the story we heard is that all these people were ordered to go, or maybe these will be a lot of tickets given away or or whatever. A lot of people who aren't typical wrestling fans. I think we'll get a lot of wrestling fans. I don't think the government is ordering anyone to go. I, I don't see sense any compulsion in this scenario here. I sense a. Yeah, well, my point is that it's not going to be a t- typical wrestling fans who who have, uh, you know, who are at war with Vince McMahon's uh, will to manipulate people that he can no longer manipulate, and uh, will, will be in a predisposed to boo Roman Reigns out of frustration of years and years of having their intelligence insulted. That said, you know, Brock Lesnar did resign with WWE. We got a. Uh, a mention of that um, very specific on April 9th mm-hmm. uh, later th- later the same day when they had done the um, uh, announcement about the yeah. WWE Network numbers. And, and we didn't and, talk too much about WrestleMania itself last week. Um, so Brock Lesnar, if, if you haven't heard yet, beat Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania. I was there. Uh, you were there live, Mookie. And uh, I, I'd be interested, because I haven't heard from you exactly other, other than some tweets. So like, what was the, the feeling in the crowd? Like, I heard there were a lot of beach balls being thrown around. Everybody, including myself, expected Roman Reigns to win for this to be his, uh, you know, it, it felt like WWE storylines in a lot of way uh, were, were built to be capped off at this moment with Roman Reigns finally beating Brock Lesnar in a main event of WrestleMania to win the title and to, and to vanquish the monster and become the hero of WWE. But that's not exactly what happened. No. And, and you know, the way Meltzer has put it is that very clearly Reigns was given the instruction that day he wasn't going over. He had mm-hmm. probably thought up to that day he was. Lesnar had made some kind of verbal agreement prior to this that he would resign, and it sounded like he actually signed the paperwork that day. Um, and so I, I do think it was an example where some of the decision-making was done based on whether or not Lesnar was going to stick around, right? So that that was a big part of it, and it sounded like it did come down to the wire. In terms of the environment there, people were tired. It had been a very long time. And the silliness of the Strowman match was – Which was right before. Was right before. was very torn because, again, it was a little bit like that WrestleCon Super Show where you know people were getting really excited about the idea of a, a mystery partner. And then the mystery partner they get is still kind of a, not what they expected, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so people were – you know it's tough to boo a kid 
<laughs> not to say that the audience wouldn't, but also for the most part, they were pretty patient about it. Um, but it took a lot longer. Like the match itself was pretty short, but the segment was much longer and we were tired. And then when the, the Lesnar and the Reigns came out, you, you saw kind of, I, I mean, I had this woman behind me and she was viscerally angry at Brock Lesnar because she was one of these people that felt that he wasn't on television enough and it wasn't fair. He was the champion. Oh. And like it was this, you know, it didn't strike me as, you know, like this Internet Mark fan. Mm-hmm. It was just somebody who was just like, ah, this guy, I don't like this guy. Well, somebody uh, who accepted the narrative that they try to put across on TV. I guess, I guess. And then, you know, um, so mostly I, I felt just just indifference is what the audience felt like because it just felt like this thing where, yeah, there was a lot of booze for Reigns. But at the same time, it was just – the Lesnar stuff sometimes can feel impactful and big and other times it can feel kind of bland. And I've now seen Lesnar in the main event a few times. And by the time we get to him, it's exciting. But at the same time, I think it comes across on television so much better because it, it it's just so much closer. Like I remember uh, a couple of years ago in um, San Jose, I didn't know what Suplex City was because if you're there live, you don't hear him scream. It's Suplex City, bitch. This so, is the birth of Suplex City. Yeah. So it's like I think on television that comes across great. Like that's like, oh my God, let's this is incredible. Like, you know, the tension is there. But in person, it, it lost a little bit of something. And so and it you was sitting way up, right? You were kind of close. You were were you on the field? I was on what they called the first row risers, meaning it's kind of the floor, but then they're kind of risers above the floor. So it was right where the floor meets kind of the very first group that is elevated a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I was I was close enough I could see things in the ring. I didn't have you to see facial expressions. Mm, somewhat, somewhat. Mm. Uh, it, it also depended on how low people were. So like the AJ Nakamura mm. match, I'm sure it was better on television. It was very much, you know, a grappling on television either. <laughs> well, it was tough because it was grappling. And so they're like very low to the ring. And that's uh-huh. the toughest thing to right. see. It's much easier right. to see when people are doing, you know, big moves and, mm-hmm. you know, flying body tackles, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, you know, I just think the audience was really burnt out. And it was clear that there wasn't a lot of love for either man. And mm-hmm. you, you do have that issue there where it's like every couple of years, Lesnar says he's going to leave. And then Vince makes him a big money offer. And then even though we've all been told Lesnar's leaving, he stays. And so I feel like the same thing happened this time where everyone was convinced. I mean, kudos to him, right? Like it's one thing. Swerve me once. Shame on shame on you. But it's like this many times he's done the same narrative. And yet every time we're all convinced he's going to UFC. And yeah, this might be a short term deal. It could just be a few months uh, continuum. But on the flip side, he also, I think, did the math and figured out that there's so much more money in guaranteed money for him in WWE and UFC. He has to go in the testing pool. He has to be 40-something years old. He has to deal with this lawsuit from Mark Hunt. He has to find opponents that he can actually make big money with. And that's really tough for him. And so all in all, I'm, I'm not shocked that he's resigning here. Um, I always think it's hilarious that if Paul Heyman is in your match, magically there's blood involved. Like – yeah. You know, it's like it, you're getting to the point here where like, wow, how many matches in a row is it where, where blood well, is involved been, and Paul Heyman is there? It's, it's all been Lesnar matches too, right? Because the, the – uh, I would have to go back. Was there a CM Punk match where Heyman was his manager and there's blood? Not that I recall. Okay. Um, there, was, there was blood in the WrestleMania 31 match between these two. There was blood between um, Lesnar and Taker, I believe, Hell in the Cell. Obviously and, the Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar. Right. And then this one. 
Yeah. And and I mean, yeah, I, I just I always point to Paul Heyman because I feel like Heyman has a big role in laying out these matches. And also, you know, there's other people who have been bloodied up. I, I I think at one point in one of the Goldberg matches, one of the two of the guys at least got a bloody mouth. But, yeah. Anyways, but it's just... A lot of so, beach balls. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that, that was the funny thing is it, not a single beach ball up until this moment. And the, the policy going into WrestleMania this year was a clear bag policy, which means you had to have a clear bag to get into the stadium and they sent out an email a few days earlier about this but a lot of people did not read this so we saw people throwing away handbags at the the scanning station and uh i was wwe was actually selling kind of a clear bag um from axis could you bring in a fanny pack though um probably not oh probably not um i didn't see people with fanny packs they they did say you could bring in a small clutch purse so Uh, a fanny pack and a clutch purse aren't that big in difference in size yeah i I think a fanny pack should fall into the category of clutch purse yeah but but they were looking through everything so my guess is you know someone probably had to smuggle it in in their pants or something uh same place you know those illegal t-shirts go Mm -hmm. um but i didn't see any bootleggers i gotta say they did a tremendous job of 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 stopping bootleggers um, near the arena. If someone else did see bootleggers, let me know. I'm curious about this, uh, whether or not other people noticed that because I, I didn't see anything um, anywhere. No fake shirts anywhere. It's pretty clear that the French Quarter and all those people, the tour shops have been basically admonished against selling you know, any kind of bootleg shirts. So you didn't see anything like that in any of the shops. And uh, I saw a lot of people you know, trying to scalp tickets, but that was about it. So... Um, but yeah, it was um, then just the, the balls came out kind of one after another, after another, after another. And the match was kind of dull, just yeah. just the way it looked on for us. And we were just burnt out. And it was just one of those things where it, it's it's really hard to say a different match would have been better because even like um, the Daniel Bryan match, the guys behind me uh, were just shitting on Kevin Owens <laughs> the whole time. They were incensed. They were super drunk, but they were so incensed that, quote, this turd was wrestling because they just thought he looked so unathletic. And so and just the story, of course, of the Daniel Bryan match of him being out of it for so long. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know whether that would have worked as a main event match. I just don't think, you know, Shane McMahon in the main event here would have worked. Obviously, the John Cena Undertaker thing would have been interesting because it would have been, you know, a quick pop. But I don't know whether the three minute match would have been the right thing or not. But in some ways, I feel like it would have been just because the audience would have been into just seeing three minutes of Undertaker and then it's over. Um, but it doesn't have a great storyline to it, right? We don't have a lot of of continuity about where that goes in the future. Uh, the Triple H Ronda Ronda match was probably the best match. Um, short of, mm-hmm. I, I actually liked the three way on for the. Yeah, uh, I, th- uh, I thought those were the two best matches. I thought the IC uh, three way was really good. Um, I didn't see the cruiserweight match. I heard that was very good too. I have I've yet to go back and watch that. But I my 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 gimmick would have been maybe the Ronda match could have headlined. Um, just in retrospect, knowing how well it did and and how well it went over and and how good it it played out. It, in, at the time, I would have you know that's that's a huge burden on people to put that in the main event and risk you know especially it might not have gotten over so much had it gone that late in the show too. Well, this is what I think. I think, yes, it's a long show, and that hurts the situation. Uh, it, it hurts the ability of that main event to get over. But I don't think that's the biggest factor in why that match didn't get over. The biggest factor in why that match didn't get over is because of the, the feelings that many fans have about Roman Reigns and about the WWE product overall. And uh, I know, like, like Dylan Hales has the, the very uh, fascinating argument about 
the uh, what is it called the, the political hit theory, and and how I mean if you look at what they've done with Reigns in terms of the booking, he hasn't really won so much. I mean, look at this match; he lost. He lost in the main event of WrestleMania. How can you say that Roman Reigns is the most pushed, protected guy when match results like this happen? Yeah, and and I think I think, I think it might be the right might, right been the right outcome. And and I think that the, the tension about Roman Reigns is about Vince trying to get his customers who have these modern sensibilities that he doesn't really get or doesn't want to accept. It's about getting those people to cheer for Roman Reigns. And it's less about that. That's, this is the tension of Roman Reigns is that it's less about, you know, Roman Reigns has a push or Roman Reigns is protected in the booking, especially in, in a world like WWE in, in modern times where wins and losses are so discounted. Um, so it's about Vince McMahon trying to get these fans to accept, accept him and wins and losses are not necessarily directly related to getting fans to accept him in fact i think what vince mcmahon was trying to do here is get sympathy on roman reigns because he lost and to get people to feel bad for him and to be like oh they're, they're treating him badly in the booking because they're not letting him go over at wrestlemania uh which is not a strategy that i think worked or is going to work but i think that's what's happening i think it's a game of who's manipulating who vince mcmahon trying to manipulate the fans the fans not taking to it, the fans being aware that they're being manipulated in this sort of, I don't know, unkind way. But what I will go back to is when I am looking at the crowds, for the first two days I was there in New Orleans, I would have said Bullet Club is the biggest thing in the world because everywhere I went, I saw Bullet Club shirts. I don't know about you, but just every street corner I would run into a Bullet Club shirt somewhere. Mm -hmm. Or a Bullet Club knockoff shirt. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it would be knockoff shirts, but it would be Young Bucks or Bullet Club shirts or occasionally Cody shirts. Or or Marty's Girl shirts. I saw a lot of Marty's Girl shirts as well. Mm -hmm. But um, then when WrestleMania started coming in and the WrestleMania crowd that was a little less hardcore came in, it was the WWE shirts and it was a ton of Roman stuff, a ton of John Cena stuff. And, you know, the normal mix of Undertaker stuff is always popular, um, kind of with the other the older fans wearing older shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, Roman Reigns has his fans. There's no doubt about there. That. And that's I guess that was the, my point is that there's that it, I don't think it's fair to say Roman Reigns isn't over. He is over. I think that, it's, that's not what I was. No, no, no. I get it. I get I, No, I agree with you. I, I just mean I, I don't want to make it sound like he's a he's someone that nobody cares about. There is he is an enormous merchandise seller. He's enormously popular and he's working a lot of different demographics. What um, will be interesting to see is how is he received in Saudi Arabia and other markets? Because in some ways, maybe they just want him more as a as an international figure, you know, that he's going to play better. Now, the problem is WWE still is 70 percent U.S. based revenue and they're going to run out of their 400 some house shows of the year. They're going to run 340 of them in the U.S., right? So it's it's going to be a U.S. and Canada. It's going to be a North American-based company still for the time being. So uh, either we'll we'll see it work or don't work. I think with them, it's good good or bad. They like that he gets a reaction and that the crowd is not indifferent. Yeah, the problem with this WrestleMania most... thing was that was indifference. The beach balls were a sign of indifference, not a sign of contempt. Yeah. And I think it's not the most profitable or lucrative reaction. I, I think this is a, you know, when, when we find out what the gate is, it's a $14.1 million gate. They had 1.88 pay-per-view. 
paid subscribers or whatever it was right after WrestleMania, and, and those are really good numbers. And that um, that WrestleMania gate is, I, I believe, the third biggest gate of all time, even when you adjust all the others for inflation. And those are big numbers uh, that should be celebrated to some extent. But my argument is, well, imagine how how big the number would be. Imagine what they could charge for ticket prices. Imagine how many more paid subscribers they might have if fans <coughs> didn't expect this sort of show. Yeah, you know? but but you know, you're getting into the profit loss model, right? And the problem is if that was really true, would Jinder Mahal have been their champion for as many months as he was? And the re- their rationale was simple. We make money on TV rights. We make money on WWE Network. We don't really care about the the month-to-month volatility. And as long as our merchandise sales are strong and as long as we have international growth in our in our sites, we're okay with making booking decisions that are not driven by who's the most profitable champion. And, and they can do that, and they're still going to be profitable even if they do that, which they've been profitable, and they're increasingly profitable over time, which gives them a lack of economic incentive to do otherwise. But I, Exactly. I continue to argue that if, if they – Put on a better show that satisfied more people. You'd be able to charge m- more money for tickets. You'd be able to draw more network subscribers who stay with your service for a longer amount of time. You'd, you'd sell more merchandise. You'd make even more money. Yeah, but the the easiest rebuke to anyone is the economic rebuke, and they just told us they had a killer Q one. So I don't feel I don't think they're feeling the sting right now. No, and, they're absolutely not. But they could be and, even more profitable. Oh yeah, but I mean now now this is a company that for year you know the the old the old joke he's a he's a millionaire who should be a billionaire, mm-hmm. right? This so between line from Flight Bomb promo, yeah, yeah. Um, between May and September 2018, we're going to get this U.S. deal announced during the second half of 2018, which I assume would be June to, June to December, July to December of uh 2018 we'll get the uk deal masked and then the india deal will be announced in the first half of 2019 and presumably the us deal will go first then the uk deal then the india deal though i guess technically there's no reason you can't announce the uk deal independent of the us deal they really aren't aren't dependent on each other but that that's honestly in their mind more than who's the champion on top that's what wwe is focused on and i'm not just talking about like who's the champion but just the perception of the product and the expectation that customers have that the product that they're going to pay for or spend their time watching is going to deliver and in fact you could even put this to, to tv rights too because i think wwe as it is which is kind of a it's it's a children's product and, and it feels like a children's product many times even though it's being broadcast during primetime tv and even though the average viewer is like 40 years old or whatever uh, I, th- I think you could have a more lucrative demographic, a more lucrative cr- clientele, a more lucrative set of viewers who uh, advertisers would pay more money to to get their eyeballs so that that would translate into even bigger TV rights than they would have otherwise. But again, I don't know. I, are... I think if you're Fox, though, if you're Fox, who's going to impress you as WWE champion if you hear R- Raw is going to go live? I think having Brock Lesnar as your champion means a lot to a Fox executive. And you, can, but you and you I think Roman Brock Reigns. Lesnar. And you I think Brock Lesnar as your champion, but just put on a show that satisfies a wider portion of your audience. Yeah, I, I just mean I think both Brock and Roman are very marketable to the eyes of a Fox network. Is that they look at that and say one guy's young, handsome, talented, and uh, the other guy it's, is it's a life. UFC superstar. It's not what they do. It's not who's the champion. It's the way that the show is presented. 
and how you feel as a viewer when you watch it. Yep, I, and I just think that increasingly it's about how do their corporate partners feel about the relationships that they have with the company that drives their decision making. Mm-hmm. And we saw that with the WrestleMania Battle Royal. You know, Snickers chimes in, WWE changes their mind. And so so more and more I feel like it has less to do with whether the fans are voting despite what Stephanie says and more and more about whether the executives are comfortable or uncomfortable with something that they're presenting. That's what causes change. Yeah. Did you hear about Ronda Rousey's uh, WWE vacation? She's going to Europe. She's she gets to... she gets a four day tour. She gets to go yeah. to Switzerland, Austria, Italy, and France. It sounds like she won the Wheel of Fortune, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I bet they offered her, <laughs> hey, hey, would you like to go to to Geneva, Vienna, Turin, and Paris? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, she's doing four days, uh, yeah. thirteen days of a European tour. Yeah, I was I was going to tweet something very cynical, and then I thought it's not her fault that she could get a good deal like that. But it does seem like a you know that does seem like a dream vacation, right? I'm sure you know it's never that much fun because it's like you're just getting into the city and you're going to an arena and then you're leaving and then you're going to the next place. Yeah. And These so you are consecutive days. There's no days off here. Yeah, but it but just kind of that idea of being like. It does sound like a pretty fun tour for someone to be like, do you want to hit these four big cities and go there? So it will be fascinating to see, does she do something? Does she do a segment? Does she do a match? Um, see, you know, the YouTube, uh, those, it sounded like she worked on this match for WrestleMania for months and months practicing it. So it will be intriguing to see whether whether or not, you know, she's doing the same match each night, whether she's doing the same segment each night. Yeah, um, like what, what a less prepared Rousey looks like. Like, and and the, the criticism and, of like um, I guess like some of the Sasha Banks and Bailey matches or those early uh, NXT matches were that well well they had a lot of time to rehearse them and prepare or even th- I think of things like the T2P roster back in the early 2000s and Toriyaman which is you know the, the pre runner of Dragon Gate which we'll talk about later on the subscriber show of like well these these guys obviously had a lot of time to prepare and then when they were in matches where they didn't have as much time to prepare obviously they were much more basic but. So it'll be intriguing to see what her her time is there and also hopefully whether or not she's a draw. Like do the Europeans care about Ronda Rousey? Uh, That's that's a really interesting thing. I think I was shocked at how many – you know, she seemed very over at WrestleMania. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. She seemed very over. I saw a lot of T-shirts. I saw a lot of interest in it. Uh, As I pointed out, she's very interesting because she herself, I believe, trademarked Rowdy Rowdy Ronda Rousey. Um, over a year ago, uh, so it, you know, if WWE using that, they're basically you know licensing it from her, um, probably as part of the contract. So I just thought, you know, she's she's in a place where she can make a lot of money, and it'll be intriguing to see how much of that is something she's controlling, and how much of that is someone WWE. There's a company called Ronda Rowdy Ronda Inc. is a corporation in California. And uh, uh, yeah, she's she trademarked a whole bunch of different stuff from like mouth guards to uh, bags to let's see what else uh, to coats and footwear. Um, so yeah, smart smart yeah. person uh, knowing what she's doing there and getting getting involved in all of that. So yeah, and, and leading up to this match, I was kind of skeptical that she was going to look as good as she looked in the match, judging by you know things that she had done in those angles leading up to, to this match, but I think she did really well. And then, like I said before, I thought it was really crucial. Her, her performance in that match was really crucial in terms of how how much shelf life she was going to have, at least as a baby face. And uh, I, I think she, she knocked it out of the park. So Yeah. I, I think, I think 
Rey Mysterio might be coming back just to challenge Ronda for who can adjust their gear more during a match. Um, In fact, actually, there's a lot of rumors that Rey is booked for the Greatest Royal Rumble. Um, There's there's been kind of unofficial announcements uh, a couple different times, and I believe – I'm trying to think of whether it's actually been confirmed by Dave or not that that Ray is going to it. I know they just announced today that Ray is going to go to AAA uh, and do one show in June. Um, and, but I've seen a lot of rumors that Ray is probably going to go to this Greatest Royal Rumble show, uh, which again just m- speaks volumes about how much money must be getting paid on this deal, or how much money the lifetime version of this deal is, and how much WWE wants to kind of for- pay it forward to try to make sure that they get all that money. Yeah, it's gonna be a recurring event. Maybe it's gonna be ten year. Well, it's a ten year deal. So they they have oh, really yeah. The the deal is signed for a ten year agreement for them to to do shows now. So you think this is gonna be an annual event then? I think there's a Rumble two next year. I think there's a good chance that they will continue to run events there. I think it would make sense for the timing of the year that they would probably like this time of the year because if you're running it again, it's probably gonna be too close to this time. And the way WWE is developing their schedule, it's it's hard to to know for sure. But they already have this kind of a break in their tours at this time. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, again, like a lot of people have I, said. I, I think it's hazardous to run a show called The Greatest Royal Rumble so soon when you've got the actual Royal Rumble in January. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, and I almost wonder if uh, the future show won't be Greatest Royal Rumbles. I, if, if exactly, yeah. you know, after maybe they'll just keep going, cycling through all the, the things, the greatest yeah. backlash of all time, yes. the greatest extreme, uh, the greatest elimination chamber of all time, the greatest uh, extreme rules of all time, the greatest uh, December to to remember of all time. Uh, dismember, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I that is my my dearest hope is that they just choose random gimmick the greatest super brawl of all time and so forth. Mm-hmm. That would be fantastic. The greatest brawl for all. Maybe they could just do some shoot matches here. Well, yeah, it's Abu. You know, that, I think Abu Dhabi is going to get that that show. Yeah, yeah. Um, you asked me to do another breakdown of the WWE Network sub announcement. Um, oh yeah. I don't well, I expected know. You, too. you you went on Twitter and you made all these tweets, so I figured I did. I did, but you know, so. The, my favorite tweet of all was not one that I did. Uh, it was actually one that Sir Martin Gale on Twitter did. And he had this WWE trading in the two-day period following WrestleMania. And basically he was just pointing out how much has the um, – how much is the trading volume gone up and down and what's the percent change that we've seen on the company um, from Friday to Tuesday uh, year over year. What's fascinating is in 2014, you see an enormous trading volume, and you see that the stock dropped about 21%. 2015, you see a uh, a volume that's probably about 75% as much as the year before, and the stock dropped about 15%. 2016, the stock volume traded was half as much as the year before, and the stock only dropped 3%. 2017, the stock uh, volume was about 75% of the year before, and it was only uh, dropped about 1%. And in 2018, the number went down again, probably about 80% of the number from the year before, prior, and the stock actually increased 3%. And so it, it says a lot about you know investors, A, in that first year, I remember it, night and day, 667-187, I think was the number. And uh, just jaws dropped because people thought this was an abysmal number based on the predictions that WWE had given everybody for the for where they thought they would be after a year into the WWE Network game. And to only come in at under 700,000 people was... And, and the 3-4 million subscriber goal was, was out there already, right? 
Yeah, yeah. That came in the initial presentation in January of 2014. Mm-hmm. So 667187 was was considered abysmal by the analyst. It was actually right on as I think Joe Lanza or someone found an article where I made a prediction about what it would be around this time and I said it would be around 700,000. Um but I just threw it as a as a throwaway number. I didn't make a big deal about it. It was just kind of a, a an offhanded comment in one of my articles. So it was one of the things where I, you could make a strong argument that it shouldn't have shocked anyone, but it shocked people. And so the stock dropped precipitously at that time. Um, at the same time, the next year it dropped 15% again, which says a lot about, you know, people really thought that, that, you know, the first year was an anomaly and that we were going to pick it up and things were going to go great. And just the fact that, you know, they're still well below where they were as a pay-per-view at the time spoke a lot. Then the next year I think was free WrestleMania 2016. And, uh, that, you know, did a little bit better, but at the same time, the stock dropped because I think, you know, they thought they could get up to 2 million without a problem the next year. They also thought they could get up to 2 million and they almost did 1.949 when you include free. Yeah. When you include free. And then this year, uh, they did well beyond what both you and I had thought they would do. You know, we both thought slightly beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we 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 both thought they, we both thought they could do about 2 million. They did two point one, but they did a lot more paid than we thought. Yes, um, the paid was much about higher. Hundred thousand more than we thought. Yeah, yeah. so it, I wasn't surprised to see the stock go up after all of that. But it, it just be, what's fascinating to me is to see that kind of narrowing of the curve where the volatility has gone way way down because either WWE has lower expectations put on it, and it's a little shocking when you think about it because in twenty eighteen the stock is at its all time high. So if there was ever a time to have extra volatility to the stock, it would be this year because even coming in at 2.1 million, I'm sure there's going to be some people that were surprised or ready to sell off because they think it was a momentary high, right? So I, I'm a little surprised that they've been able to keep it so steady and I think a lot of that is just because the TV deal, there's such uncertainty about where they're going to land but there's such um, such a premonition that it's going to be good. Well, I think the volume and the change in the stock price in the days following WrestleMania is relative to the uncertainty about network subscribers in terms of how well you can predict them, right? So the first year, really hard to predict. The second year, a little less harder to predict and so on and so on until this year where I think it was the easiest to predict because, you know, we're we're closer and closer to the saturation point. And what's fascinating is you can kind of see on on Monday uh, the stock went as high as thirty seven eighty seven and dropped as low as about thirty six forty two and then the next day it just rocketed back up again because that's after the announcement was made um, and then it rocketed up to about thirty eight bucks and it's been sitting at thirty eight bucks and change for the rest of the week so um, just doing you know overall uh, a, a a much stronger return here. You know, a year ago, if you told me forty dollars stock price, I would have said that's absurd. Now it seems very doable. You know, and you, you you have a lot of um, people out there who are putting forty five dollar targets and whatnot on WWE. So, um, especially if they announce a big deal, say with a Fox for two fifty million, that's a lot. You know, that it could happen. Um, so, yeah, I did tweet out kind of all my takeaways, and you can hear most of these takeaways uh, on the subscriber show that I did last week. Um, my first one was just that live ex- exclusive sporting content on Facebook is going to be their new longest running episodic weekly television show tagline that, you know, that that's why they're bragging about how mixed match challenge did. And we'll get into that right after this, um, is that, you know, they're cut, co- they're 
cutting themselves into a small little corner and then bragging about it. So it's what WWE does. Um, when they give us Q2 numbers, they'll tell us a little bit more about the Saudi Arabia money. That was a question. They did not mention Latin America, Mexico, South America. It was all Saudi Arabia and India. China got a plug. It's clear to the company that China, Middle East, India, that's where they're focusing on emerging markets right now. Um, the They made a, a comment about, you know, there were so many more hours watched this year than last year. But when you actually divide by the number of subscribers that were there, it, it just turns out to be a few more minutes, we think, on average per show because NXT was longer and Hall of Fame was longer. So it's really hard to really say that there was a lot more content being devoured with the exception that there's just more eyeballs on the product. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think like uh, part of the reason why these shows get longer and longer is because they're they're happy to produce longer content so that their subscribers watch for a longer amount of time? So that, so that they have this total time in the network or average, I think it's like average uh, time per subscriber, uh, that number gets higher because that's one of the incentives for executives, for executive bonuses, right? And there's the, I think the theory is that the more time you spend as a subscriber actually watching this service, the more likely you are to be retained. It's questionable. <laughs> I, I sometimes run, wonder if it's, it's a case of lack of oversight mm-hmm. where there, there needs to be some management and rigor where people say, you know what, it's better for us to produce quality, compact content than rather to let it be a rambling show. And uh, if anybody can speak to that, it would be you and I about the difference between more content versus good content. Because mm-hmm. um, we run into this all the time when we're recording, right? That, you know, we're always struggling with should we do more or should we do better? Well, and, and as, as – we learned we, we, right before we started doing this podcast together. I think you put out a survey and asking people, "Well, how long do you want a WrestleNomics episode to be?" And I think the most popular answer was forty-five to sixty minutes, right? And uh, so we started doing this together, and before long, we were doing three-hour episodes and uh, just for free. And now we're doing two to three-hour episodes plus a couple more hours or, or so for 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 people to pay for, and, and they're paying for even more time. So I, I don't. I don't yeah, yeah, no, it's very true. I, I don't. I think it helps the executives, though. I think it's honestly mismanagement on things like the Hall of Fame, that they just don't know how to wrangle that yet. Yeah, yeah. I that, get, it's weird. I don't know. I think a lot of it is, well, we can get everybody in this way, and in the case of the Hall of Fame, well, we can let everybody talk for as long as they want to talk, so they feel respected and you know feel honored and all that. So, yeah. Um, stronger Q1 economics. One thing I just pointed out was that they did admit there's a timing shift involved in that, and that has to do with the new accounting rules that they adopted. So some of that will be it shows up in Q1, it doesn't show up in Q4, and that's just how they adjust some of the economics of it. Uh, that will be better explained when the Q1 numbers come out on May 3rd, I think it's going to be. Yes, yes, as I correctly predicted. You did correctly predict it. The Business Partner Summit has not been posted yet. Uh, We did find out through Twitter that Cricket Wireless won their Partner of the Year, though. Um, They mentioned that 80% of the video is consumed outside the United States, but only 30% of the revenue uh, comes in from there. So that was their latest version of the International Revenue versus uh, Video Views slide, which, again, that's a very narrow cut of how to view the world, is to say that YouTube is going to be a proxy for the way the rest of the world looks at you. Because uh, there's certainly a lot more about the model of where WWE's value is coming from than just YouTube views. Um, subscriber breakdown is interesting because they would not give us any uh, detail about the international markets. 
and pay and domestic markets this year. And I went back and I looked at last year and last year they totally did. They totally broke down total paid, total domestic, domestic paid, international paid for WrestleMania 33 and WrestleMania 32. So it was it's complete BS that they refused to do that this year because that is not at all what they did the year before. So I wish one of the investors had called them out on that and said, you guys did totally did this last year. Are you sure you don't want to say you're going to do it this year? Why did you stop? You know, yeah. it's, do, you, do you remember the language that the Barrios used when he answered that question about why he wouldn't? He just basically – I I don't think he said granularity, but I think he said yeah. more or less that – you know. Yeah, we're not going to get into that. We'll, Sorry. We won't get into that until Q1 is out. Yeah. Um, the subscriber breakdown is also interesting because um, as noted, some of the new subs might have come in as a low intro free month type thing as opposed to free being people that have never been subscribers before because now we're seeing some of the uh, winbacks involve promotions where you give free months out to people that have already had free months. And, and remember, they were offering free trials for canceled sub subs or for former subscribers. Yeah. Uh, the number of free subs for this year is 316. It's actually lower than it was in 2016, which was 370,000. Uh, which I think is really interesting to mention is just that, you know, the year that they pushed the idea of free WrestleMania was actually bigger than this year. And so to me, that says that there's some percentage of the people in the paid who two years ago would have been more in the free category. But now you're getting them back and maybe you're able to count them as as paid because they might be paid at a one ninety nine rate or some very low, low three month rate as opposed to the full thing. But you get them immediately as a paid sub. Uh, they mentioned certain talent on the call, Daniel Bryan, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte, Flair, Asuka. Ronda, of course, was mentioned a whole bunch of times. But they didn't talk about Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, John Cena, Undertaker, AJ Styles, or Nakamura. And that really surprised me because I thought for sure if the main event of your show is Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, you should be mentioning one of your champions. Or if your other champion is AJ Styles and Nakamura. You should be mentioning one of your champions or if John Cena is your biggest star and by all accounts, he probably still is the biggest merch seller for this company and your biggest iconic star for for WrestleMania every year is The Undertaker. You'd think one of those guys would get mentioned, but it's all about Ronda Rousey, Daniel Bryan and the women's revolution, Charlotte Flair and Asuka. Before I was following this stuff and which I started in about 2014. They probably talked more about the Rock and Cena main events that happened in 2012 and 2013, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, more. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you you have some weird things going on there. I remember, like the the my favorite of all was, of course, the swing and a miss story about was it Brock and CM Punk they did one time or something, and then SummerSlam 2013, right? Yeah, and and that was the way he he characterized it as Vince is just like it was a swing and a miss. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting to see Daniel Bryan come up so much because he's not a champion, right? He's not one of these these top guys that I'm mentioning. But it's clear that they saw him as one of the big catalysts for interest. Uh, and as well they should. I think he is a big catalyst for interest for people for this year's WrestleMania. Because I think this year's WrestleMania will be more remembered for both what Ronda Rousey did and the fact it was the WrestleMania that Daniel Bryan came back for than, say, John Cena versus The Undertaker or the, the Reigns-Lesnar match. Mm-hmm. And I'll remember it for having a main event that nobody really cared about, too. Yeah. Um, the uh, WWE totally glossed over the decision to make all the pay-per-view events dual branded going forward. They just passed it off as a footnote from subscriber research. But it is a significant decision when it comes to marketing, logistics, talent exposure, TV programming, with the the the, um, the impact of the costs. 
you know, there, there's a huge calculation to be made about is it better for us to be able to run a pay-per-view and charge pay-per-view ticket prices or not? Is it more valuable to us to expose more talent between two pay-per-views or expose 75% of the same talent pay-per-view to pay-per-view and then have less people that are on the undercard able to work their way up? Um, you know, to me, it was it was kind of farcical to pretend like this is just a subscriber research decision. Let's go ahead. You could argue it's a subscriber research decision because it had no impact on your WWE network numbers. And it does make sense to me from that standpoint to say, hey, we're not getting more incremental subs by running twice as many pay-per-views. Let's not do it. But I think that there's other countermeasures to that, which is, hey, now all these um, – you know, th- there's an argument about the way that they were structuring their television product, which made it tough for them because they felt like it was tough for them to promote an event on SmackDown if the Raw pay-per-view was coming up next because you had to promote it so far out. Um, but at the same time, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to start dropping off pay-per-views because of this. And I do think that that hurts you on a talent. Yeah, and I think that hurts you on a talent exposure thing because I do think you you build up talent. You get you know if you're it's tough to have two tag titles already and then plan every pay per view to be defending both of those tag titles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's just it's just really tough for some of these other guys to always be making an impact, and that's why you do see guys get kind of disgruntled after a while, where like you're the Miz or someone, and you say, "Why am I not being put on these pay per view events?" And it also, yeah. When the brand split first started, there were split brand pay-per-views right off the bat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in 2002 or, yeah, sure. No, no, no. I mean uh, in the the, the most recent. uh, No, no. It took a a little while for it to start uh, with the the, the pay-per-views being specific, if I recall. Okay. I don't remember exactly. Someone could correct us if we're wrong. Yeah, we'll we'll have to look it up again. But yeah, I, it's and again, it's a it's a whole cost narrative, right? Because it does cost a certain amount extra to be running these extra big events, especially if you're doing traditional pay per view marketing on them. And at the same time, it, it's one less house show you're running. Sometimes two less house shows because sometimes when you're running a pay per view, you don't run anything against it, and you bring in extra talent. Um, but logistically, I just thought it was interesting because it's it's okay. so the, the the split started in I think July nineteen two thousand sixteen is the, is the day of the draft. The next pay per view was Battleground, which was a a joint brand pay per view. Then there was SummerSlam, which was of course of course both brands. But then September was Backlash, SmackDown only, and the same month Clash of Champions, which was Raw only. So after a couple of months, they did go. Yeah, and the- they did start separating them. And the bigger question wasn't so much about should we do separated brand pay-per-views. The bigger question is should you do two pay-per-views in a single month? Should you be doing you know 18 or 20 pay-per-views a month? And and at the same time, there's a great argument to be made that it's overkill, right? That there's just too much content. And then again, this goes against the whole narrative to say, well, we're super serving our most ardent fans. They want more and more content. Then why would wouldn't you follow that up with saying then why are you getting rid of some content? So we're on track here to have, if you count the Greatest Royal Rumble as a pay-per-view, 13 pay-per-views in the year. Which I would argue is a very reasonable amount of pay-per-view to build towards. Like That that feels like the right amount of build and the right amount of, of programming. I do agree every two weeks. When, once you get on the UFC schedule, people do get burnt out. Um, they, they keep saying tearing the WWE Network is right around the corner, yet it seems like a million miles away. They will make references of expanding the WWE Network subs, um, the the free 
to basically a hub. Oh, I'm sorry. Now I remember. <laughs> They're making references to expanding the WWE Network from just a subscription fee-based service to a hub where the fans interact with tons of transactions. Presumably what they mean by that is that's where you'll go to buy tickets. That's where you'll go get merch. That's where you'll you'll do other things besides just get video. Is that they really this this felt like the most certainty that I've heard yet from them about tiering. I know Barbarius did a talk, one of his recent talks, where it sounded pretty certain too, but this was pretty matter of fact. Like it's gonna happen. I think they really want to keep it up. I think they've picked up on the fact that fa- that the uh, investors are getting annoyed if they keep saying it's around the corner but not doing anything. I think s- sooner rather than later was the language that Barrios used. That said, I, I don't think they're going to do anything till they have the, the domestic deal announced. Is because I think they just think it's too volatile to, yeah. to introduce it because it is that a big sense. disruption to the system. And in addition, digital rights in the new deal are going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, so they expect the U.S. TV deal to be announced sometime between May and September. So may, maybe in, in the winter, maybe by the end of the year. Well, oh, you mean when would they announce tiering? Yeah, tiering, maybe, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it, too, is this question about what what are they doing with the digital rights? Right now, they have a blackout period where they can't show the show from USA in, to, on the network for like six weeks or four weeks or whatever. 30 days, I think is what it 30 is. 30 days. And then they can show it on Hulu, though, for right immediately after in an edited form. The next day, yeah. Yeah. So you, you have that element. And so the question is, this new deal, that could get blown up. And that what, will what also... happens with Hulu if you go to Fox? Is Fox involved with Hulu? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think they are. Okay. Maybe not. I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> yeah, okay. You, you talk, I'll look it up. Yeah, but, but my point being, that's a big difference in the tiering, is that maybe you can introduce a tier, for instance, that will have immediate showings of Raw and SmackDown within a week if you, at a higher tier price. And that's you know a function of we've renegotiated our TV rights deal. But that's still not going to be able to go into effect until the end of 2019. So in some of the tiering, little elements like that, that's going to be impacted by the decision being made here um, right now. And we assume the digital rights agreement that they have with the USA Network is contemporaneous with the, the domestic TV rights deal. But we don't know that. So, I mean, there's always a possibility that there's some kind of differential in that timing. 21st Century Fox is a part owner along with Comcast and Walt Disney Time Warner. Yeah. And I think a lot of them are having kind of a – it's an unholy alliance. Let's put it that way. Is that that they, they see the value of an OTT service but they're also all kind of afraid of going too deep in on it because they, they don't want to lose out on all those opportunities going forward. And I think there's been times when one or owner or another owner has kind of threatened to kind of buy out other people and it hasn't gone so well. Yeah, there's all sorts of Fox, but like Family Guys on Hulu. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I've seen a lot of, of – um, I watch like L.A. to Vegas, which is one of my new favorite comedies of the year, um, mm-hmm. is on, on Hulu. And I watch that all the time, and that's a Fox show. Okay. So they could maintain their Hulu presence. They, they might, but I'm saying you know, if I was looking at a tiering option, that would be actually a very valuable tiering option is getting some digital replay rights in a much shorter time window. Right, um, a, pre- a premium tier that would include it. VOD access to Raw and SmackDown 24 hours later. Or a week later or something, you know. Or, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to say because, like I say, presumably the deal doesn't end till uh, third quarter of 2019, which says to me it's not like you can roll out tiering and then change what the deal is then. And it's tough to say a year down the line we're going to add in Raw and SmackDown 24-hour access. Like you can't do that. So that be the super premium tier that's launched the following year. 
Well, the super premium tiers get a sling sling uh, subscription and just watch it live. Yeah. Um, uh, I was shocked when they they were asking a question about uh, plugging women. You know, are you giving women more opportunity? I, I was. I mean, this was the funniest line of all because somebody started off with, um, you know, I've been reading a lot of feedback about the show, and you're like, oh dun, yeah, dun. and then he's like. I heard that Charlotte versus Oscar just tore the house down. I was like, oh, okay. I guess that was some of the feedback people had. <laughs> um, and then, so he's just like, what are you doing to give women more time? And, and you know, George just kind of gave up everything. You know, we're going to do lots more. But he didn't really specify anything. And it was so easy for him to say, hey, you know, we just announced we're going to do another May Young Classic Tournament at the Business Partner Summit. And, you know, they're, we're continuing to push the programming there. And we think there's, you know... So I just thought it was really funny that they didn't follow one up with the other. They did talk about the Ronda effect. I think that's going to be something they're just going to go on and on about. And it'll be interesting to see if they actually put some numbers or, or words to that to say, you know, we, we have seen female engagement on the WWE network is up 20% now that Ronda's here or something like that, you know? Um, you could even maybe look at uh, demographics from Shilba's Daily about that. Something yeah. We talked about last week that I need to dig into. Yeah, and I think people have, and, and they've said, we're not seeing a lot of stuff right now. It's not necessarily great, and it's not necessarily bad. It's just, um, you know, it's just, it, it's it's vague. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like, in some ways it might seem like it's addition by non-attrition. So you were not losing certain people in certain demographics, so we're counting that as a win. That's really hard to make those arguments about. Um. They, I like I said here, my this was the one that most people responded to when I had this series of tweets was still waiting for the mainstream media piece to challenge the corporate female empowerment marketing messages versus the corporate decision to go all in on the greatest Royal Rumble event in Saudi Arabia, which will involve zero women getting a WWE payday. Yeah. And, you know, the easiest answer to this is money talks, right? So their company, money talks, they went with the money and they've had a relationship with Saudi Arabia for many years now. And this is not new for them to make this decision. Uh, it is contradictory to, you know, um, basically what you might consider a company with a very strong social conscience might do. But I don't feel like WWE has been accused of having a super strong social conscience. No, I don't feel like they have either. So, so I mean, that, weren't there other companies that faced some scrutiny because they were going to do business in Saudi Arabia? I, nothing comes to mind, but I'm sure there are. I thought, I thought we talked. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, other locations for recruiting WWE talent they mentioned was Shanghai, Dubai, and Saudi Arabia. Um, I don't know whether this was just, you know, th these were the places they were thinking about, or you know, I, I have to think the European tour they're going to scout more talent. They always scout talent on the European tour. Um, I think they're going to continue scouting talent in the United States. I think they need to scout tons of talent in, in South America. But yet they're talking about Shanghai, Dubai, and Saudi Arabia. And so it's strange to me that they're not focused on growing a Hispanic talent pipeline or looking at the talent from Mexico and Latin America, South America. But instead, they're really focused on drawing international talent. So they must have some analytics or thinking that says if we put more you know, Indian stars on television, we will do better for Indian television. And so it'll be curious to see, you know, they're not announcing their new India deal till the first half of 2019. It'll be curious to see if they do another push in 2018 here to, you know, make it seem like India is an important marketplace to them, maybe using some of their more homegrown stars, you know, the Love Preet Sings of the world, 
rather than the Jinder Mahals to to once again try to reiterate that message that India is important. Remember, they have Mahabali Shira now. Yeah, they signed him. And and the point is, they're going to make more money on that Indian TV deal than they're going to make on on the incremental live event draws. So to them, it's a bigger deal to them to keep that one corporate partner happy than it is for them to worry about is it going to hurt or help our certain draws in in worldwide marketplaces in general. I'm, I, they can't let it tank, but at the same time, I don't think that they have to be so concerned that you know they're drawing fifty five hundred instead of fifty nine hundred. You know, they they don't really care that much. So it's, it's less important that those shows that they ran in India last year in December didn't do so well. But the the TV money is still going to roll in, and more than just India, it, everywhere, Europe, South America, they 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 don't care so much about whether those shows are incredible successes or just successes, mm-hmm. as long as they can get a big TV deal out of it. And so I could see them once again going with a strange booking fetish, just to be able to make basically impress a certain marketplace. Do you think the strange booking fetish has really impressed that marketplace? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. That's that's what I think – that's what shocked me the most is just kind of coming into WrestleMania here was how cold Jinder Mahal was and then at the same time seeing Jinder Mahal win, right? So I guess and, like – I mean think about the, those India shows that I just mentioned. OK, they didn't, didn't do so well. They, they scheduled two of them. They had to do one of them. Didn't, didn't draw so great. But do you think it impressed their TV partner Sony, right? so much that that's going to really benefit their new TV deal that they're going to renegotiate in the first half of 2019. Yes, because I think it says to them, we care. We showed up. We did the show. We sent people over here to promote. We did localization on your television network for for a year here. And, you know, Daniel Bryan was over in India not too long ago. Other people, like they've been sending talent over to promote this stuff. And that's what makes that relationship seem like it matters. And that's what they're trying to do. And so yeah. whether or not they draw 1,000 people, 2,000 people, or 5,000 people, it's one show. It's a, sunk, a lump sum cost to them. Hell, it might have even been a sold show for all we know. Um, so it, it's hard to – same thing with the Saudi Arabia show. I don't know. I, would, I think it's a sold show. I don't think they're getting money on ticket prices. I think they'll get money on merch. Yeah. But I, I feel pretty strongly like they probably got a flat fee to run the show, and then the, the show itself is then being sold by ticket brokers – who are recouping and that's why the price ticket prices for the show is something between like two dollars and eighty dollars us right i i saw that the ticket prices were not in a currency that i'm familiar with but yeah yeah but when people converted it they said like the, the most expensive tickets were only like 80 bucks mm-hmm. and says to me that's that's more of an evidence that you you got a subsidized show that you're willing to lose money on and you just want to fill the arena yeah if, if i could linger on jinder mahal here <laughs> for all we could say about how well, Jinder Mahal, not a great wrestler, not a great champion, didn't even get very over. Maybe, maybe even let's let's be a, a, you know aggressive and say he turned off some Western fans. He 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 hurt SmackDown attendance. I'm not saying this is the case, but let's let's assume this is true. Um, Jinder Mahal, not a draw, but if if him being the champion and him being pushed sent a message to Sony in India. That hey, you're, you, we're really all about India, and you're going to give us a higher TV rights fee because of that. In some sense, Jinder Mahal was a success. If that's what happens, yeah, it's a long play. It's a very long play, and that's what they said they were doing the whole time. And and that is the God's honest truth. They are. 
I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's, you know, when you look at what talent did they put into the uh, women's battle royal this year, you know, who was in there, right? Who was the NXT talent they brought in? Kavita Devi. Kavita Devi, Carrie Sane from Japan, um, uh, the, the Brazilian girl. Uh, Conti. Yeah, Conti was how in. Say, how do you say her first name? Uh, <laughs> I'm asking the wrong person. Tenaria uh, or something? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm not. I'm just looking here at, at the list of people. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tenara uh, Conti. Uh, Carrie Sane was in there, obviously, I mentioned. Um, Dakota Kai from New Zealand. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think it says a lot about... The iconic duo from Australia, although they were called up the next day. Yeah. Because the iconics, yeah. But, but it, it says a lot that they went very much like, let's get the international women's talent exposure here rather than just let's take the top people from NXT. And I, I think that, you know, I will say I do think they made a little bit of a minor star out of uh, Bianca Belair. Because if you had never seen her before, she had a very good showing on, on WrestleMania. And, and, and in the Mayon Classic, too. Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 she was one that really stood out where, like, you know, like my wife had never seen her before. And she, she it stuck with her. The whole gimmick of using her hair and, and whatnot. So we're like, okay, that's 450 splash. Yeah. So I was just like, that was a great debut for someone in in the in that space where so many times, you know, you can end up like Ting Bing, uh, Tian Bing, and just be in there and be thrown out and nobody gives a shit. Mm-hmm. Or you can shine in a way that m- makes you memorable. But um, she's an American, though I think she is she is but i just meant i i just meant it was an effective use of a, a talent in a battle royal which is so rare because battle royals are such you know such clusters all the time yeah she was born in tennessee okay um and then i just said you know my my last kind of big comment here was facebook might be the future but fox seems like the now if fox ponies up the money i think WWE jumps ships and goes to fox it's win-win for fox now because they can always pretend that their ad rates will might change with wwe USA Network has no logic to assume that they, they're going to make much more in ad rates for WWE than they make today, right? Because th- there's no reason you should presume that just because you renew with them that your ad rates are going to magically double. But if you're Fox, you can go through a scenario where you come up with the logic to yourself and say, I'm going live, I'm going on this, I'm going on that, I'm doing this, I'm promoting it in a different way, we're a new partnership. And you can, you can delude yourself into thinking, okay, I'm going to get a lot more money. And they might get a lot more money. We don't know they won't. But I kind of feel like USA is played out and they know exactly what their ceiling is. And so at this point, you're just making the strategic decision of what value do you assign to WWE helping your viewership numbers that you're willing to overpay for them? Mm-hmm. Because USA might do it. They might well just pay enough money to keep it because it's a good relationship. You know, they were their business partner summer uh, partner of the year two years ago. They, they they have a close relationship and they have have a very strong powerful relationship. Yeah. And and where are they going to be if they don't have WWE? Yeah. And what what opportunity is out there for them for for USA Network if they have that free freed up money that and, they and given to WWE? And and it's very possible that they can still make an offer to WWE that is still profitable to them because in general they're they're still probably actually making more in ad revenue than they are on what they spend on WWE programming. So even if they increase that number, they can still get it. And I, I'm not to say that they can't increase their ad rates. I just mean Fox can kind of Fox can do kind of a UFC type valuation where you just pretend you're going to double your revenue in a couple of years because it's a brand new deal and who's to say you can't. And I do think that you're changing enough variables with the idea of possibly putting Raw as a live programming on network television. 
that you can make a strong argument. It's a different wheelhouse at that point. Hmm. So I, I'm 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 feeling the Fox vibe still a lot more um, than I ever did when I first heard the deal, hmm. and I'm excited. So I, I'm really curious to see how this network, you know, these TV deals things work, and then how that Im- impacts the tiering on the network. Yeah. So so the point is. In 2019, we're going to vote for Jinder Mahal as best box office draw when he brings in those India TV rights numbers. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, you know, at that time, it's is the Rock the guy who's the 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 draw, or is it the whole program, the whole movie, man? You know. Um, but this is another good example of, you know, if you are serious about covering WWE business, you should have been listening to this WrestleMania call because I just off the top of my head was able to come up with 20 takeaway messages just from listening to this short 30 minute call. And there's a lot of content to devour into whenever these executives talk. And so sometimes I feel like people overemphasize certain aspects and they underemphasize really interesting other aspects. And, and Hey, that's our, that's our market. That's what we talk about on WrestleNomics every week. But um, aspects do they overemphasize? Well, like who won on WrestleMania, whether it was Brock or Roman Reigns, you know, you know, people, people, people talking about some of this stuff that you know you could argue there's some other really good conversations to be had so that's just my feeling mm-hmm. or is rusev signing or not signing <laughs> um yeah. i guess that's the stuff that's easiest for people to understand course, that, that touch them with their fandom yeah yeah no i get it i'm not i'm not trying to 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 i'm not trying to to put bad feelings towards other people on this stuff what i mean <laughs> what i mean more is just that this is a great example they should be listeners to wrestling radio we should convert them <clears throat> or that they should be listeners to this because i think more people could break could talk about this stuff you know more people could be thinking about the these interesting questions mm-hmm. i think it's important to me as a i don't know as a wrestling fan or somebody who's trying to understand wrestling to say this kind of stuff so that we at least have like a baseline of what are the facts because I think when you do try to have other conversations about like who won or who should have won, ultimately these arguments rely on some facts that nobody really sorts out very well. But yeah, yeah, that's fair. Let's talk mixed match challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, total views on Facebook. Really interesting little graph you did. I don't know if you tweeted this out yet. I did. I did. Okay. I tweeted it out a few days ago. Yeah. So I'm just going to read off the uh, week one through 12. I'm not even going to say who's in the matches, but just the total views as of 410, uh, 2 million, 1.8, 1.8, 2 million. And then suddenly everything jumps 4.6, 3.5, 3.1, 3.6, 3.5. And then these last three weeks are a little bit lower, 2.9, 2.7, 3.9 for the finals. So the highest rated week was 4.6 million, Elias Bailey versus Rusev Lana. The lowest rated weeks was week two and three, which was Ms. Asuka versus Big E Carmella and Strowman Bliss versus Lynch and uh, Sami Zayn. Um, in total, 12 weeks of shows uh, came to a climax with Miz and Asuka beating Rude and Flair. A uh, little bit of a shocker for me. Which I predicted, by the way. Did I you? predicted. Did yes. you? We, we, we argued about it. We debated we this did. vigorously. Because I, I, their, their charity was is Rescue Dogs Rock, right? Not, I even remember the yes. charity. And I was like, but maybe Rescue Dogs Rock. And you're like, no, 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 no. W's going to give itself its own donation. No, no. I said they I, – I didn't think they'd give it to Connor's Cure. I did think they would give it to either Special Olympics or to um, uh, even the UN Women's thing. I thought, eh, maybe, but no. Um, either Special Olympics or one of the other 
organizations. I, I got to even go back and look at what they were all playing for, um, where I was just like, oh, I just don't see it going to some rescue dog thing when there's so many other uh, like a oh, boys and girls club. That's that was the other one that I really thought would do well would be boys and girls club. But Oscar had the undefeated streak to keep up so she could give it to Charlotte. So. Yeah. I mean, l- listen to this. Connor's Cure, Special Olympics, Susan G. Komen, Higher Heroes USA, AmeriCares, Girl Up, Global Citizen, Boys and Girls Club of America, Make-A-Wish, UNICEF, and Kaboom. And Rescue Dogs Rock. And I thought, out of all those 12, which one WWE would give the rub to would be more like Susan B. Komen, or Special Olympics, or Connor's Cure, or, or Make-A-Wish, or Boys and Girls Club. I especially thought Boys and Girls Club had a had a good shot, um, just because they they're they're kind of like this charity that WWE supports, but they only you hear the least about it uh, unless you're at the Business Partner Summit. But if you ever look for just like corporate, Which we're not. But but if you look for corporate articles about WWE, Boys and Girls Club stuff comes up a lot because they do a lot of like reading challenges and other stuff. Yeah. Um. But so I was just really shocked that that's where they went. Which again, like you said, they went with booking. Which was Ms. Oscar versus Root Flair, which made sense. Oscar's got a streak, versus what I was thinking, which was you know play the charity game, and you know I was completely wrong. So well, maybe the charity money was really uh, topped off for a lot of these other charities anyway. You know, yeah. So it was more even, not just not just the Rescue Dogs Rock that got the most money, or or maybe the others got some more money too that was not uh, mentioned. So I um I did a quick kind of average by wrestler here so for people that did three or four matches um total views on average so you had charlotte flair averaged 3.63 million then bobby Roode averaged 3.4 million miz and oscar both at 2.93 million uh bliss and braun at 2.77 and sasha and finn at 2.6 and uh, of course the only two people that did four matches in that group would be bobby Roode and miz and oscar and so you know what everybody wants to know is all right Who's the draw? Well, it sounds like Charlotte Flair was... Um, Charlotte Flair's a draw. Charlotte Flair's a draw, though she's not the biggest draw, because the biggest draw was the two-match average of Rusev and Lana at 4.05 million, highest overall average. So Rusev and Lana are a draw. And then the next two are way below this group. Their 2.8 million is Naomi and Jimmy Uso. 2.25 is Becky Lynch. Um, possibly, yeah, she, she's the lowest of people that had two or more matches. Um, and then the so one Becky Lynch is not a draw, not a draw. It appears uh, the the one appearance crew, Elias and Bailey at four point six million. So they were arguably the very highest average overall. But that's just a one month one match. So Elias and Bailey are a draw. Yeah, uh, uh, Apollo and Nia Jax at three point five. So pretty high. Uh, second second highest of, of in uh, you know some of the groups there. And then there's a big drop off. And then you have Mandy Rosen, Gold Dust, Nakamura, and Nat Natalia, both of them only at two million. Biggie and Carmella at one point eight and Sami Zayn at one point eight. Mm-hmm. Looking at these Sam, numbers Sami Zayn, not a draw. Not a draw. I, I'm being facetious here. So I, I, I when I tweeted this graph, uh I got questions like, so who why, why is the uh the Lana and Rusev number so high? Or I, and people did tell me that Lana and Rusev really pushed their episode. So maybe that did have something to do with it. Um but I, one of the things I said is that you know it's not a fun answer, but I, I, I think it's it's hasty to to say to look at one piece of evidence like this and be like, okay, so and so is a draw, and so and so is not a draw. It's just it's a partial view of a much larger picture that. It, uh, oh yeah, I I agree. Needs at to be the, taken with other evidence. Yeah. At the same time, it, it does smell to me like Rusev and Lana did the most with the least. 
which is they got themselves way over on the show and they did entertainment stuff that for a social media type platform worked really well. He was hilarious when he tweeted about it. He was hilarious in Facebook chat. Um, you know, it, it seemed really good. So I and that drew drew a difference of like an extra two million views, whatever a view is worth. Well, we know a view, a view is weird. This and this remember is remember this too, is only U.S. stuff too. This is not worldwide. This is where I am so suspicious of of the data. Is that it feels to me so much like something got tweaked in the algorithm between and, week and four and week four five, weeks, right? Like why is everything so small in the first four weeks and then things almost double yeah. for the subsequent weeks? And the talent is the same talent as in the first four weeks. It is pretty – You would think if anything at the beginning – I shouldn't say. It's not all the same talent, but it's a lot of the same talent. You would think if if anything at the beginning – I think like like one of the the lessons that was learned from the Cruiserweight Classic, right, is that there was a lot of attention and viewership at the beginning and then then we were told it kind of dropped off until the end. Yeah. Uh, But – and you would think – similar would have happened here right because these were just episodes that were broadcast live and and then broadcast live each week yeah so, so it's it's not like the Mae Young classic where these were dropped in in a binge watching format no and so to me this says that we should probably look at the the peak viewership numbers for each week and just look at how that worked because my guess is that will model much closer to what we're talking about higher peaks in the beginning and then kind of lower peaks for a couple of weeks and then a very high peak at the end um, and I know we can get that out of the observer, so we'll have to go back and, and kind of do that math. Yeah. Did, did he report that each week? I'm, I remember we tracked that for the first few weeks. I think he did. I think he did. We'll, we'll, we, we'll dig into it and see if we can find it. Uh, hopefully we can. Cause yeah, that would be what would intrigue me is that to me, clearly something changed between the algorithms of what they were either counting for what was a view or what was available. Like, you know, in some way that they found a way to embedded in a tweet and then you know it played a whole bunch more times on these later weeks wow that's possible you know and so to me it just feels like when you look at the kavita devi having 10 million views on youtube you don't end up with that unless something something about the way that you're being promoted that video you don't end up with mark henry versus john cena getting 10 million views randomly on on youtube unless you're doing something unusual that with that video compared to something else so um, even when we say it's not available to people in the outside the U.S., I would like to challenge that. Is it available to anybody outside the U.S. now? Can they watch it now? So not in this, not not from the place that I pulled these numbers from. I don't think so. These are these are just pulled from Facebook, and I know these episodes were made available on a delay on the WWE Network. Yeah, but that any viewership from the WWE Network is not included in that. Shouldn't these should are, not be. These yeah, are, these are just the numbers that were displayed. <laughs> On, on the view counter on, on Facebook. And in our understanding is this was Facebook Watch. This yeah. was available only to people in the U.S. I also wonder if they launched some kind of app or something in week five, which somehow made it much easier for Facebook Watch to be accessed or something. Or if they embedded it in the WWE Network app or something. Just like yeah. it, it just they, they just upscaled the places they, they embedded this uh, video in. That's possible. It yeah. it's it's just so baffling to me that, you know, the first four weeks that would include Miz and Asuka and would include uh, Strowman and Bliss. And I would argue that the Strowman and Bliss was the strongest angle they ran for the whole twelve weeks here. Where mm-hmm. they actually, you know, ran a love angle with these two. And it was and, and the size difference between And them. yeah, but I mean they ran like an angle that people cared about. And Braun Strowman is someone who we've been saying is on the verge of being a pretty big star. 
you know, so they ran an angle with a big star and it just seems weird to me that he would do 1.8 million one week and then a couple weeks later be doing 3.6 million unless, you know, you And I think Alexa Bliss is a, a pretty big star too. Yeah, so the female side anyway. So yeah, so that was our takeaway from the mixed match challenge. Um I just thought that was really interesting. And uh, like we said, we're going to be doing a patron show, Super Serve subscriber show, only $5 a month. You get all the stuff. We're going to talk some more about this WWE Network survey that they put out for international subscribers. We're going to talk about the WWE annual meeting and uh, merchandising information. We're going to go deep into China and uh, the company OWE. What is that? Oriental Wrestling Entertainment? Is that their name? Yes. Yes. Uh, the NWA in China. We're going to talk a little bit about Aero Lucha, as we always do. And I have some other updates. But uh, one other th- topic I want to touch on on the main show here was uh, NWL. Do you know the National Wrestling League? No. What is the NWL? I saw this in the notes and I stared at it and thought, what, what is the NWL? Well, the NWL was founded by a guy named Major Bateson. And Major Bateson sold a company of his for about $134 million a couple of years ago. And so he was a multimillionaire by the time he was 34. And so he looked at a couple different options, and this is a lot of this is coming from an article on Pitch.com uh, that was written by Daniel, I'm sorry, David uh, Hudnell, who did a good job uh, writing about this in 2017, and basically saying uh, originally this guy wanted to buy a league, and he was really into baseball, so he tried to get a baseball team. Then he thought about getting a soccer team, but then he realized he had no passion for soccer, and then he remembered he used to like WWF when he was a kid. And so he started investigating and learning more about indie shows, and he basically did the math, and he figured out that there was hundreds of indie shows that run every year, and then there was hundreds of fans that go to these shows. So you're dealing with an ecosystem of of you know tens of thousands of dollars and people and all this stuff, and and maybe there's an opportunity to similar to the old timey days of Kansas City wrestling, go back and start kind of a weekly promotion that would run out of Kansas City there. And um, he he started up a Fed, and they ran almost weekly. I was looking at their cage match results, and unfortunately, there's almost no um, details about the uh, attendance for most of these shows. The one show I found said 500 people, but that was only one show. But they would run on like January 7th, January 12th, January 21st, January 26th, February 4th, February 9th. You know, they they ran very very regularly, almost once a week. A lot of times at the Scottish Rite Temple in Kansas City. Uh, sometimes at, at the Casa Loma Ballroom, um, sometimes at the, the Maidfield Square Garden in St. Peter's, Missouri, so sometimes outside of, of Kansas City. But uh, the other part of it was that he wanted to kind of treat this more like a business, much in the same way that you would have a business with a baseball team or a football team. And he actually did want to sign people as salaried employees with benefits and 401ks. The wrestlers, the wrestlers, yes, and so that Whoa. was his gimmick: is that he was he was out there actually signing guys to work for the company to move there or to live there, and that they would uh, continue to pay pay people as that. And he said in the article he was going to pay people. I think uh, what he said would, was a fair living wage or something like that. So I was guessing maybe fifty k a year or something like that. And, and was this happening? I'm looking yeah. at the roster now. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, Steele is one of the few names I recognize here. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he ended up signing like between six and eight guys. Uh, oh, to, that's it. Okay. Two kind of deals. And so it doesn't sound like a lot of guys, but if you think about it, eight guys at 50K, that's, you know, uh, <laughs> that's a lot of money um, to be spending. 
for for this kind of promotion on a yearly basis. And so they announced on on April 12, 2018, that the NWL has ceased all operations. It's been their privilege to work with incredibly talented women and men who contributed. They committed to um, making this promotion successful. Their efforts and determination – I'm reading from his, his uh, posting here on uh, their website, which is nwlleague.com, where the L is also part of the word league. Um, it has allowed us to grow from a laughing stock within the industry to a promotion that aired in five markets, gained millions of video views, earned tens of thousands of followers, drew thousands of fans to our events. And um, it, later on here it says, overall – Unfortunately, at the onset of this endeavor, I was also overconfident, stubborn, and made mistakes. As a result, we were not able to see the stream through to its full fruition. Those who have purchased Fight Club memberships or tickets to any of our our no longer upcoming shows, refunds will be issued in the next 10 days. Thank you for those who uh, helped make the NWL. I hope you all continue to believe. Um, he did become a character on his own show, as oh. as, as you know, people are apt to do. Um, he hired a is, guy. Is Major his given name or is that his rank? <laughs> I think it's his given name. Uh, I, I think he had a guy named Chris Gow, G-O-U-G-H. And uh, he mentions that this guy used to – it sounds like he was an intern for WWE. And then later he calls himself a writer. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of these like production assistant type writing jobs. Uh, you know, I'd be curious to see if, if – Court Bauer or um, David Lagana or some of the other guys could ever say, you know, was this guy a writer or was he just kind of one of the many people that are kind of in that room whose job it is to photocopy scripts and make sure everything is kind of working right. But he, he was somebody that he had hired to be kind of his, you know, man in the office that would help him out with running a pro wrestling company. So it, it was an interesting model. I thought it was interesting you mentioned Fight Club memberships because you and I had talked a little bit about the idea of season memberships two wrestling shows on one of our WrestleNomics things after I went to a, uh, a, a pricing workshop for one of the MLW uh, or yeah, not MLW season ML. tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Major league soccer, uh, MLS, uh, teams yes. and, uh, some other things. So I just thought it was interesting because, you know, it sounds like the guy came in, he announced the locker room on Monday or so just saying like, it's over. And, you know, we, we hear this from a lot of, uh, a lot of different things here. You know, they rebranded uh, their training school. They were they. I think they had just gotten TV in like Florida or something. Um, but it just it, it says a lot to you when millionaires go into this business. They get all these metrics that you know people think that you need to go get. Oh, I need to get you know tens of thousands of views on my videos. I need to get you know TV coverage in in these other marketplaces. I need to sign up talent for exclusive contracts, and yet they still have to throw in the towel. Um, and it, it just says something about, you know, it's a tough business to enter in, even if you're a good market businessman, because I, I, I hate to say you're getting conned, but there is a lot of people who are happy to take your money and walk. Uh, and there's a lot of people who will, who will throw macroeconomic trends at you and then try to make it seem like you can be successful because macroeconomically it's there, Right. They'll say, this is how many viewers that WWE gets. If you got 1% of that, this is where you could be. They're an $800 million company. All you have to do is get 1% of that. Mm. And, you know, it's, it just says a lot about – They are a $3 billion company now. Yeah, it just says a lot about, to me, the importance of the businesses that are thriving right now are either doing it through strategic partnerships – and media opportunities. So I'm what I'm thinking about specifically is like New Japan 
strategic partnership with Ring of Honor and has an OTT service, you know, that they're delivering. Or and, and they can draw and hundreds, if not thousands, of people on a, multiple times per week on a tour. Yeah, or it has something to do with you know some kind of talent based initiative. So you can make an argument that the All In guys, you know, have created themselves as talent that is worth existing on. NWL never really seemed to hit the radar. And I was not even aware of this promotion yeah. until. The other day. And so it's one of those big questions about like, you know, what is the value of the media and journalists to, you know, kind of hype you up in such a way that to make sure people know that you exist to create that that image of the super indie. And at the same media creates stars, as as I once argued. Yeah. Or stole from you, whatever it was. (laughs) But I mean, it, it just says a lot to me that you had a millionaire go into this thing and he had the means, he had the opportunity, and he had to walk away. And it's always hard to say, you know, is it was it foolishness? Was it naiveness? Was it stubbornness? Was it um, uh, was it was it focusing right? Or is this one of these things where, like a lot of startups, you have to lose money before you make money? Or is it the sort of thing where you should never be losing money in pro wrestling because you should always have an opportunity to kind of scale it back if the demand is there? I think a lot of times you're competing with so many other forms of entertainment that unless you're running off of a nostalgia or a, a you know, continuing some kind of legacy, it's very hard to start the, start up a wrestling fed these days. Yeah. And I, I think one big advantage that WWE has, I think one thing I've argued before is that one big advantage WWE has is that it's the major league of wrestling far and away. But I think another advantage that WWE has, not just that it's at this time the major league, but that it's the brand that so many people who are now young adults with disposable income, it's the brand that they all grew up with and they have all these nostalgic feelings associated with not just the brand, but the characters involved, the history of the brand. Yeah. And, and at the same time, I always feel like it's foolish for us to compare WWE to any of these companies. This company should be fighting impact. This company should be fighting Aero Lucha. You know, that, mm. that those are competitors to NWL. WWE is not a competitor to NWL. You know, they're they're not fighting for television space against these people or talent against these people. So there's always going to be that element, too, where you have to have to kind of decide what is the marketplace that you're trying to carve out for yourself and who are you trying to fight against. And also, I feel like it's a good indictment of just how the media landscape has evolved so much right now that we're at a place where it's very tough to expect that television is going or media coverage is going to help you out as much as it used to. And it's less and less important where someone like PWG – well, PWG can thrive, right, through the marketplace that they've created for themselves. They can certainly thrive in terms of perception, and they thrive in terms of the the ticket prices they've been able to to get people to pay for in a a 400-seat venue, and now they're finally going to move apparently. Yeah, so I, I would argue they've thrived. They've found a way to succeed in this landscape. And that's not something true of necessarily some of these other companies that are starting up right now. And it, it speaks to, you know, they, they have had to go out and recruit so much talent from around the world and create the perception of their show that direction. Mm-hmm. I, I think as far as non-WWE companies, when I look at NXT, uh, I think part of the reason why NXT has been able to thrive, at least in terms of buzz, I know as soon as you mention NXT is, is, is good or success. It's oh, it's losing money, but um, the, the, one of the reasons why I think NXT has been able to thrive and become more popular uh, is 
the lack of seizing an opportunity from companies like Ring of Honor Impact in the last few years. I think there's there's a a, a kind of wrestling that could have been presented more so by Ring of Honor or by Impact that was not presented by them in the last three, four years, but is now being presented by NXT, both in terms of just the presentation and in terms of the talent that they valued. You know what I mean there? Yeah, no, I agree. I I think Ring of Honor and and Impact especially haven't had the the most modern and most effective approach to talent and presenting that talent. That's fair. Though I I will challenge the opening sentence you used, which was when we talk about non-WWE, NXT does blank. Well, NXT is part of WWE. Not, well, I was, I'm talking about the non-WWE in terms of I'm, I, to point to Ring of Honor and Impact. Yes, yes, I get you. I get you. Yes. So NXT on, is, is is a WWE owned subsidy. Yes, I just for subsidiary. Who's confused? Subsidiary. Well, I just want to make it clear that they couldn't exist on their own. They they are not profitable enough to exist as a standalone entity. Yeah. Nor would they have the is, ability to acquire the talent or service the talent. Absolutely. What I'm saying is Ring of Honor and, and Impact passed up an opportunity or didn't capitalize well enough on an opportunity so that instead WWE was able to yes. with its off-brand. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I agree. All right. Well, that is the end of our free show for WrestleNomics Radio. But you – the show doesn't stop. Super Serve subscribe oh, show no. uh, is going to be going up uh, later today and we're going to talk about all the subjects I mentioned before. And you can sign up at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. We do a weekly show just for you for $5 a month. That's right. And, uh, Brandon, if people want to reach out to us, they can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Mukigana. We also have an account at WrestleNomics. And our email address is WrestleNomics at gmail.com. Where can they find you on Twitter? At Brandon Thurston. Uh, I write for WrestlingInc.com. And uh, uh, if people want to see you wrestle next week, uh, they can go to where? They're going to have to go to Jamestown, New York, or to St. Catharines, Ontario. And they can uh, look up Southern Tier Wrestling, look up Crossfire Wrestling, and I'll be there. And Crossfire, are they new or are they uh... – Oh, no. Crossfire has been around for a long time. But you're just making your debut there. That's correct. Southern Ontario has quite the, the, the wrestling scene. There seems like there's a lot of promotions working over there. It absolutely does. That's what I tell people all the time when they come in to start training. I'm like, all right, Western New York wrestling, it's okay. But if you go to Southern Ontario, there's like got to be 10, 12 shows a week in Southern Ontario. Wow. It's just a bigger population. There's the Mexico no City of, of, of Canada. Sort of. It, yeah, there's, it's just a bigger metropolitan area. There's basically no regulation, so it's easier to run shows without losing money. And, uh, in part because it's a bigger population, there's just a better legacy of training. So there's a better, I think there's a better uh, quality of wrestling that they at least started out with when the indies started to really become the modern indies in the early 2000s. So they've, they've had a better legacy of training. And, so and it's a good place to get experience. And people can go over the border as a professional wrestler and it's and allowed now. It's been allowed for the last several years. My understanding is that you can, it's, it's right there on the government website. Anybody who's from the WWE or similar organizations, it says. If you're an American, you can go in there. You can temporarily work as an entertainer. You don't have to have a visa. You don't have to give anybody any money. You can go over there, get paid, tell the border agents you're getting paid. It's all, it's all okay. So, so when they stop you at the border and they say, uh, you, sir, what are you doing going over the border? You just say, I am, uh, I'm booked to wrestle on a professional wrestling show? 
yeah, I say I'm going to such and such town. I'm going to this venue. Yep, yep, I'm I'm wrestling there. They'll, they'll usually ask, are are you going as a fan or as a spectator, or are you going to perform? And I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to perform. Are you getting paid? I'll be like, yeah, I'm getting paid. And they'll be like, okay. Okay, have a nice day. So you're saying if we can just get in touch with some of the border agents, we can find out how much indie wrestlers are getting paid? We can convince them to add that to their checklist? Well, they, they, they don't always ask me how much I get paid. I know, but I'm Sometimes hoping they, they, do. Can, they will, and then we can uh, – yeah. can... I don't think they record that information, though. <laughs> maybe maybe we, they'll have two sheets, one for official customs materials and the other just for WrestleNomics survey collection. Yeah, maybe there's um. So you go to Ontario all the time. Maybe we could go to uh, one of the political meetings. I don't know what the <laughs> bodies are like in Ontario. But maybe we could go to one of the uh, the uh, provincial uh, county meetings and um, make a movement for border agents to take more careful record keeping of independent wrestlers' uh, payments as they cross the border. Well, so I, through my job, I've been uh, Statistics Canada is a organization that is a government entity and so they have have singled out my company for a survey and so every month they send me emails and call me all about our our manufacturing numbers for the month and they are relentless let me tell you (laughs) they will not stop calling me about the numbers every single government canadian government it's it's the canadian government you cannot opt out of this and uh, so I'm unfortunately I've looked through the, the classification codes and I, I don't feel like uh, wrestling will have its own classification code where I can, you know, single it out and be able then to figure out what the wrestling economy is generating right now. But uh, maybe in the is future, kind of like Freedom of Information Act in Canada. Uh, I imagine. I imagine. I don't know for sure, though. If, if you're one of our Canadian listeners, let us know. I'm sure it does exist, but I, I don't even know what we'd do with it if we had it. So, Because they're actually really specific about you, they will not give out specific business information. It's meant to be by category of business. But my point is if I can find a small enough category of business where professional wrestling fits in, I'd be curious what the revenue numbers are. But my guess is it would fall into an entertainment category. So it's me and the improv clubs and everything else, you know, the jazz club down the street. But be curious to see where that goes. That's, that's our uh, unusual ending for this week's WrestleNomics show, April 15th, 2018. Foot of snow here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, plenty of inches of ice there in Tonawanda. Yeah, it's a couple inches of ice, but it's a nice layer. I sent you a picture. You can see it on Twitter if you haven't already. I did. I saw that. So uh, we'll talk to you guys all later. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. 
your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.